What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 31st draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. How are you? We're just Hello, a- Eric. <laughs> we're just a couple swim instructors, and uh, we're about to eat a shit pie called Game of Thrones. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, if you guys didn't know, uh, this is a movie podcast, but we're going to be talking uh, quite a bit about uh, some TV that happened. Some series life. finales, some season finales. Oh, boy. It was something man it was something yeah. uh, if you guys it's victoria day here in canada as we're recording this and probably when this episode will go up as well um so it's a holiday so eric and i are recording midday it's beautiful outside sure uh, is. it is the morning after the game of thrones finale so uh still have a hangover from that or maybe this whole season or maybe the last four seasons <laughs> right depending um, on what you consider quality especially for me who watched them all within the last like fucking this this year Um, but yeah, we're not going to go super in detail on the Game of Thrones finale here. We're actually doing a very special kind of spinoff episode of Untitled Movie Reviews where we're actually going to go, uh, probably, uh, full spoilers and everything on the Game of Thrones finale and what we thought of this whole season and kind of how everything wrapped up over on the other channel. If you guys want to check that out, that should be And will it be as anticlimactic as, uh, the series itself? You bet your ass it will (laughs) be. It will be. Oh, man. Uh, But if you guys didn't know, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Each and every week, Eric and I get together, talk about television, as well as Cinnamon Toast Crunch and whatever the hell else we've been eating or watching or doing and what's going on. Yeah, you've you've joined the religion known as Cinnamon Toast Crunch now. Bruh, bruh. I haven't had Cinnamon Toast Crunch in probably 25 years. So it was another one. We talk about when I go and revisit movies that I didn't like when I was younger or in my teens or or even in my uh, early manhood. Um, but I haven't revisited Cinnamon Toast Crunch in quite a while. And <laughs> Is it as cinematic Lord. as oh, you man, remember? Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I've always been a Captain Crunch boy. Right. Um, I always loved Captain Crunch. I loved Sugar Crisp, which I believe in the U.S. is called something different. It's the one with the bear on the... On the yeah, but in the U.S., I think... I forget what it's called, but they're like that puffed rice that's really sweet. Um, loved Sugar Crisp as a kid. Um, those are my two go-tos. I liked Reese's um, Pieces as well. Reese's Pieces Puffs. Yeah, never a huge fan. Uh, I'm not a big peanut butter and chocolate guy. Like, I don't go for the Reese's that often. Like, whether it's the cup. I can fuck with some Reese's Pieces once in a while. And, right. And things like that. But, um, man, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is good. The reason I did it is because we watch we watch a lot of like Rhett and Link on on YouTube and in Good Mythical Morning, and they did like a ranking uh, of cereals during uh, March for uh, uh, March Madness. March Madness, yeah, yeah. Um, but they call it March Milkness. Yeah, something like that, like something a pun like that. title. Yeah, but um, they crowned Cinnamon Toast Crunch the best cereal of them all, and I was like, you know what? All right, I'll give it a shot. It was on sale for like three bucks at the grocery store. Uh, so I got that, and I also bought a box of Captain Crunch. So, you know, I am a 30-year-old man. <laughs> right. Uh, how you doing, though? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, other than, uh, yeah, watching Game of Thrones last night, which was uh, abysmal. Um, just kind of, <laughs> you know, in trying to enjoy the weather a little bit, take it easy. Uh, we both, uh, I think, binge-watched all of Barry Season 2. We did, yeah. Over the course yeah. of a, a weekend. You got me hooked back onto it again, because I had seen the first season for... A BFCA awards consideration, Last but I hadn't. Year. Yeah, but I hadn't revisited. I hadn't had a chance to watch season two. So as soon as uh, before a screening of Rocket Man, we were at a, a friend's house, uh, Mike Munts, and we watched the pilot episode because Mike had never mm-hmm. seen it. 
then we will also watch Kidding, which wasn't as good. Um, and I kind of was like, oh, I need to go back and and and, yeah. and finish this because it is really really good. But I feel like when you take so much time away from something, you can kind of just forget about it and maybe put it to the side and say, I'll get back to it at some point, and then you never do. Right, but then with the finale being last night after Game of Thrones as well, it kind of motivated me to... So I watched both seasons of Barry, one on Friday and one on uh, yes Sunday. After Game of Thrones, I finished the rest of season two. Um, I, I had watched a few episodes because after watching season one, I immediately jumped into season two. Um, man, it's good. It's great. I, I'm really enjoying the shit out of Barry. And uh, and ob- there's obvious comparisons to Breaking Bad and Dexter are the ones that pop in, into my head. But Yeah, and um, I was also saying to you before we were recording, there was a film with Keanu Reeves that played at TIFF back in, I think, 2012 called uh, Henry's Crime. And he plays a thief who... Um, joins uh, an acting tro- troupe because uh, it's the best way to get to a bank that's has an underground tunnel. And so he figures out or he finds out that he has a knack for this theater thing and decides whether or not to continue acting or go through with pulling off this heist. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I haven't, I can't remember if I've seen Henry's Crime or not. Um, There's a good bit with this infomercial with uh, Vera Farmiga where she's like her big, famous fifteen minutes of fame is this uh, lottery commercial and it's Buffalo, and it's her just saying, "I don't think I have seen this Buffalo," and it's just it's perfectly done. Um, But yeah, Barry is excellent, man. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm really really enjoying it. Um, it. It balances comedy and very dark uh drama very well um i i'm amazed at how hard i'll be laughing at one scene and then how kind of either horrified or um surprised i'll be in the next moment and i think bill Hader is is phenomenal in the series and uh i mean everyone surrounding him is great too and yeah uh, sarah goldberg uh steven root who i mean a lot of people know either from the Coen Brothers movies, he'll pop up here and there, and also Office Space. Yeah. He's either plays uh, kind of a, a loser or a scumbag in here uh, as a little bit Fuchs. of both. <laughs> he's he's a weasel, and obviously the name as well. I think is is in reference to the thing who is the first person to be infected. So you can tell like Bill Hader as a writer as well. Alex Berg and Alec Berg and him are you know referencing you know movies that they grew up with and loved throughout, and um, it's it's fun to see uh, that dynamic really unfold and as a director as well Bill Hader is doing some really exciting stuff and he's hired a bunch of other people to come on board there were a couple episodes uh directed by I'm looking up the name now because I always forget how to uh it's Hero Hero Mirai Mirai who's also done episodes of Atlantic and uh Atlanta Atlanta and uh Gustav uh Island so it's it's interesting seeing the people he's bringing in um to work with him and also sort of the commentary on you know LA culture now and, right. and sort of looking at this season two specifically kind of looking at you know the time's up and me too movement and sort of how you know uh, an agency like Gersh uh, where you know the Sarah Goldberg character Sally is kind of a client but kind of not um, is sort of writing her own personal story of abuse and we get to see how you know these kind of more vapid agents that are men look at it and say, yeah, it's really brave of you and all this kind of stuff. And they're just kind of summing it up in just one little 
sort yeah. of she gets saying that slogan. revenge porn yeah 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 uh, which is is um is so uh, offensive. payback women and, yeah. and it's like it the 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 pun of it is like a period joke and you're just yeah. like but it's true like you could see that it's like this time of the month it's time for revenge right or and, something. And, and it's just yeah it, but the show is i think it, and again you could even go back to like something like entourage and showing you like the kind of inside hollywood kind of thing but from an up-and-coming actor's perspective and i think the show and while this guy is also a hitman and um i think it, it it's a incredibly clever concept and um uh shout out to noho hank just the funniest fucking thing I've seen in a long yeah, time. Yeah, Anthony Carrion as uh, uh, yeah. as as Noho Hank or North Hollywood Hank yeah. as his full name is um, is his hysterical. I mean, he's the closest to caricature of the the the, the main cast, Betty. But he's also one of the funniest, and I think you need a character like that who is so jovial and saying horrible things and, yeah. and doing horrible things and acknowledging that, like, you know, he's, he's a very polite and likable guy. But he's also a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you mentioned the Breaking Bad comparison. What this is, is it's almost like a reverse Breaking Bad where you're seeing, you know, if Barry was Walter White at the end of uh, Breaking Bad actually going in reverse and becoming a normal human being or trying to become a human being. Yeah. Henry Winkler as well as the oh, yeah, uh, acting God. teacher uh, uh, Gene, Gene yeah. um, is is fantastic as well. And, and you know, him kind of being a, a, a father figure and a therapist to Barry, but also still charging him left and right and everybody around him and, and trying to get the best out of people, but doing it in maybe ethically questionable ways. And I also like that it does call out every character for you know doing bad things and it's a very complex mixture of you know loving a character and hating a character i don't think it's just fuchs like i think yeah like barry can I do mean, yeah. some really horrible things we learn you know of his military background in afghanistan but also you know sarah can be self-absorbed and, and selfish as well yeah uh, her character sally so like it's it's these... not afraid to show that unlikable side of yeah everyone. And, and it feels like they're real people or more so than like what you would get in entourage right yes, yes um so and and i think that's a testament to the writing and yeah i totally agree and it's going back even i sorry i keep comparing it to other shows but it kept reminding me of things of like some of the stuff in dexter i didn't like it's just they made him completely go against his set of rules right that they set out so uh thoroughly in the first few seasons where i'm just like i'm not cheering for this guy anymore like he's become a bad person and walter white to an extent too right um or actually walter white just becomes straight up evil um but uh other than his like affinity for jesse and then in this though like you said barry does some like horrific things that but you're still weirdly like you brought this up off air when before he's at least still trying to be a good person. He just gets caught up in this life that he's in and that he's so afraid of either getting caught or, or um, uh, things like that, that he does anything to cover it up, even if it's hurting good people. We're not standing like up for himself yeah. even like that first season really is about him standing up to Fuchs and making his own decisions than just following orders all the time. Yeah, and I love that that juxtaposition with the I mean that's what the whole show's about of him doing this acting class which is teaching him things to use in his his job as a hitman and then he's doing things in his job as a hitman that he's learning to use in the acting, right? Like, right. I like Well, he's that. also he's also starting to feel empathy for 
people that he is assigned to kill yeah. or people that he is debating whether or not to kill. I mean, there's a, in, in the in the first uh, season into the second, or maybe it was the second because they kind of bleed together a little bit, but with the Taylor character and sort of the raid of this uh, drug safe house kind of yeah. thing and, and sort of like what he has to do with that and how he has to handle that situation. And I even like the Taylor character. It's like, you know, we're going to get a sweet hot tub and we're going <laughs> to, you know, hang out and, and bro out. And, and just, it's interesting how those moments play and 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 again like he's a character who morally and ethically has done some questionable things but because he's taking this acting course you know these emotions and and processing how you're feeling is a cheap way of getting therapy yeah 100 percent. um so i definitely suggest it to anyone who has uh crave tv here in in canada or hbo in the u.s like I think it's a very easy watch. Um, like I burned through both seasons in one sitting, essentially, and they're like, only a half an hour each. Um, yeah, that's why, and they're eight episodes, which I think is like the perfect length. Yeah, it's about four hours, and uh, you're in and you're out, and you don't have to invest like, like it doesn't. You, I was never going. Oh man, like get to the point, or this is going on a bit too long. Right. Like, now you did have some reservations with. Uh, episode five of season two kind yeah. of being more I don't want to give away outlandish but yeah. though like in terms of like it not maybe being grounded in the season that we are watching it kind yeah. of feels like its own thing I totally agree with that and I don't want to give away that episode but it was uh so over the top uh to the point where I'm like is this is he imagining this because like did he get hit on the head too hard and like yeah um but it doesn't seem that way but it was it, like it was a fun episode i guess like it was like you had i literally had no idea what would happen next right and it was so ridiculous that i was just like i can't wait for you to get to episode five because it's a lot but um yeah, I I was iffy on it. I don't know if I loved episode five, but again, the series as a whole, like I think even where it takes that thread and, and keeps moving with it um, with Fuchs and stuff like that is, is interesting. And um, and where the second season ends off, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm genuinely curious of how they're going to... Because uh, I worry about certain things, but... Uh, right. Um, well, I was also worried at the beginning of season two that they're portraying Barry too much of like an asshole but at the same time because the first season he's more kind of meek and he's trying to just be a part of this new community where in the beginning of season two he kind of like takes the bull by his by the horns after gene is in a situation where he isn't really showing up for uh, acting classes to, to teach the people and he, it's almost like Barry has too much of a grip on yeah. things and it feels like that kind of weirdly portrays the character but then Again, it swerves in an interesting way that kind of feels like, okay, this is how a scene or, or, or a sequence would play out in terms of the writing and the character beats. And then, again, sort of looking at Sally and Barry's relationship and how hard she has to work to convince this agency to look at her as a potential client versus him. How easy it who is, right? <laughs> just walks in and he's six foot two and he gets, you know, a feature or movie a audition. A six foot two white male. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And for a, a, a American pie teen comedy called Swim Instructors where, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's all based around uh, eating a, 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 shit a shitty pie. pie. <laughs> yeah, which call back to your joke at the opening that probably no yeah. one got unless you watched Barry. Um, but yeah, it's excellent. Definitely check it out. Um, I think I've haven't laughed as hard as I had like in this series in a, in a long time on TV. Like there's a, a true romance uh, 
bit in like the first episode i think with the character ryan madsen uh, and it fucking killed me man it just destroyed me so uh and you can tell like you mentioned like uh, bill Hader is a a film fan and as obvious as that true romance bit is uh with the gary oldman (laughs) kind of scene it um or even how he reads other plays or 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 scripts like the glenn gary glenn ross alec baldwin scene and how he delivers it in kind of just like a very casual fashion yeah (laughs) it's it's yeah you know it's a really good show and i and i think both seasons are worth checking out if you haven't seen either one but um season two they really uh ramp things up and you can tell that they're you know the production value and the style is getting more confident and ambitious and you're actually really starting to care about where this character is going but also where the supporting characters are because it does feel more like an ensemble as we get to learn about these side characters and it's not just about Barry it's about Hank it's about Sally it's about Gene and sort of their relationships to each other and to other people while still revolving around Barry yeah yeah and and that's kind of what I like about it like you know the Sally talks about how he's so giving as an actor and and I feel Bill Hader is very giving as a actor writer producer director like he he understands that it's not just about a showcase for him it's showing all these other people around as uh, Matt gets a, a a call from Novato California United States should maybe I it's take, Barry should I answer it I, I think so hello hello DHL International Express well there's a DHL joke in in Barry with I the said- bullet uh, it's probably remember Hank. Remember when Hank money. sends the sends the bullet. I sent it by DHL. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's so weird. I have no idea what that is, but they're like, it's an urgent request, and I'm like, all right. Are you getting a bullet? Uh, I hope not. I'm watching that bullet show up to my door. Someone's listening. Oh, I sent God. it by DHL. Yeah, that's fine. You gotta wait, Barry, before you shoot him. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Go check out Barry. Uh, shout out to the opening titles all the time. Yes. too. They're well, the I best. love. There's there's one in season two specifically when. A character calls him by a different name. Yeah, and he says, yeah. it's actually, and then it <laughs> they, that smash title cuts yeah. to the title sequence. It's Perfect. awesome. It's fantastic. Each each time you're just like, oh, where's it going to come in? It's always like an awkward moment or whatever, and then it just smash cuts to the title, and it's great. And that like very quick uh, uh, musical cue, uh, it's great. Go check that out. Um, gonna eat that shit pie. <laughs> Other stuff we've been watching. Um, most of the stuff, I mean, I'll, I'll go. Uh, most of the stuff I've watched uh, is stuff for review. So um, I haven't mentioned this yet, but if you're listening, um, you probably know that we do another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews, which is on a separate channel. Please go check that out, uh, where Eric and I get together and review a uh, new released film or in, in a special case, like something like the Game of Thrones finale, a, a little spinoff episode. Uh, but we mostly review uh, new release films, whether they're upcoming in theaters or possibly on streaming somewhere uh right now we have a buttload of stuff up for you or at least in the next few days um i'm gonna pull up the list that i have i'm trying to get my face to get scanned by my phone we have john wick uh chapter three parabellum yep uh pokemon detective pikachu Mm -hmm. we have uh, a review for Booksmart, which we mentioned on the last episode but we didn't get around to reviewing yet so we're actually recording that uh today and it should be up for you guys uh we'll have a review for rocket man um for you guys as well as um, this Wednesday, the 22nd, we'll have a review up for uh, Disney's live-action Aladdin. When the embargo breaks. Yes, which is Wednesday at noon, I believe. 
And then with Rocket Man, I guess we can talk off air. Are we alone? I think so because it had that public showing. Right? It had the so, public showing. It's already screened yeah. at Can. At Can, yeah. So I think we're good. Yeah. Um, so Eric and I saw Rocket Man on the weekend. We hung out on Saturday. Um, I saw a double feature of John Wick and Rocket Man. So yeah, go check out those reviews. Um, as well as, yeah, everything I've been watching is stuff that we've uh, wanted to cover or is new release stuff at home. I Again, I watched Barry and, and Game of Thrones, really, and haven't been watching all that much. I watched the, like, half of the animated Aladdin. Um, I rewatched uh, that after yeah. watching the new Aladdin because it, it had been a while. Um Always loved it as a kid. It was one of those movies. It was movies. my favorite Disney movie. Yeah, I, I'd say for me, it was it was top three it would be that lion king yep. and uh great mouse detective for me and okay, it was wow, one of nice. those movies that if you grew up in the late 80s early 90s you know somebody either you or somebody you knew had a copy of that on vhs and those clamshell vhs uh packages oh 100 um and it, yeah so it had been a while since i had seen it um watched the uh the blu-ray and I got to say, it still holds up. It's still a really lovely fantastic, movie. Yeah. And um, the songs are really good. And obviously, Robin Williams' performance as Genie is is fantastic. And, and it's just interesting because, you know, before or around the time of The Great Mouse Detective and The Little Mermaid, Disney was in this kind of free fall. And, you know, they, they weren't doing as well with their 2D animated movies. And all of a sudden, with Little Mermaid, specifically they started to really come back. And I think it was because of the writing of, of, of the music incorporating that into the numbers and, and the musical numbers in uh, the animated Disney movies, uh, specifically with Aladdin and Lion King, are just as memorable as any of the characters. Yeah, 100%. Probably even more so. Yeah. Um, and, oh, shit, we can't talk about Aladdin, the new one. Okay, we'll wait on that. But... The old Aladdin. I mean, yeah, Robin Williams' performance is just, I think, one of the most iconic in 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 history. I think, and um, I was obsessed with Aladdin as a kid. And yeah, I've, I re I rewatch it a lot actually. Like, I think I watched it last year. That's why I never actually made it through it again. Not that I, I don't like it. It's just like I put it on, and then I um I noticed the burn in on my TV, and it was really annoying me because I noticed it more during animated stuff. Do you um, want to explain what a burn in is for people? Yeah, that maybe so don't know? Uh, on my LG OLED, which I bought just over a year ago, February of 2018, I bought it. Um, a beautiful TV, one of the uh, best TVs you can get, but um, they have a problem with which some plasmas had too which um is a screen burn-in so if you leave an image that's kind of static on your screen for too long uh usually hours and hours um it could potentially cause a permanent kind of burn-in on your tv so basically because the light was burning on that part of the screen longer than the others it gets a little bit dimmer so then when you're watching other things you can kind of see a faint outline of whatever was burned in on the screen and mine is very slight like you can really only see it during like pastel colors or very solid colors and things like that so when i'm watching live Barry. action stuff so when the berry title comes up because it's in this red i can see it um or watching aladdin the animated movie i can see it um when I'm watching live action stuff, you can barely really tell, um, but it's still like I'm, we talk about week in, week out, how kind of anal we are um, when it comes to any little thing at a movie theater or on our screens. Like I'm very particular of how I 
watch things. Right, because you're going to fixate on the thing that's yes, wrong and, and you're I, not going to actually cannot, watch the movie. And I do that at the movie theaters. I do that at home. Um, if something is off, that's all I can think about and that's all I can look at. Um, so it's so frustrating that it's happening on my TV and I noticed it during Aladdin. So like, uh, it's all I could look at, um, while I was watching the movie. So I had to shut it off and I, I tried to finish it in the bedroom, but then I think I fell asleep. But, uh, anyways, um, my, L- yeah, I got to get my TV fixed now, I think, which they're like covering the panel, but they're not covering the, uh, manual labor. Um, cause your so, original warranty or your one year warranty one, just expired in right? February. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like motherfucker. And then, um, uh, but luckily, because these TVs are like known to do this, they extend it by a year, but you still have to pay part like for the labor. So I don't know how much that labor is. It's probably like a hundred bucks an hour and fucking knowing these guys, they'll probably take two hours or something like that to do it. But because um, they, they'll come to your house and do it instead of you dropping it off, I think. But uh, I still got to figure all that shit out. But it's like, okay, like I was watching, I mean, especially with low quality stuff like the HBO. Yeah. Where it's all fucking pixelated anyway. I'm like, you can't really see the burn in. Um, but uh, I even put on some like 4K stuff to like test it. And as long as it wasn't like a really solid light or bright color, I couldn't really tell. Um, right. So. And, you, and you had mentioned that with the burn-in, it's caused by leaving a TV on too long. And yeah. Specifically, I find, because um, one of my TVs also has this, um, if you're watching a news show and they have a graphic where it's it's kind of boxed in, yep. that box, if you leave it on a channel like that, like, see, like for example, in Canada, CP24 and CNN. Yes, a lot of people have an issue with CP24. Yeah, because you'll, you'll even see that on, like, you know, in hospitals or waiting rooms, dentists, room, dentists yeah. and... Because that's you the only channel they have yeah. on, right? So it burns into the TVs. Yeah, so th- that's that's usually... I mean, there, I'm sure there are other burn-ins as well. With No, but that's the... It's anything that's going to be very static on your screen that's not moving around right Right. so if uh a lot of people who play video games for a long period of time if there's like a hud on your screen that can burn in um for me it's i i gotta remind myself like when i listen to podcasts i listen on youtube a lot of the times because i like having a visual aid even though it's just people sitting at a desk or whatever like i just it makes me focus on the podcast more right. so or I, is it a vodcast uh, uh, yeah i mean it, it i mean they're not very heavily produced some of it is but um i just that's very static right because the camera's not moving it's just a shot of the four people sitting at the desk so um that could be uh, a part of it. This looks like it was a menu that was left up, and I worry about my Apple TV sometimes because it does have like a automatic like oh I, I've been on too long like I'll go into the screensaver mode. But I think sometimes like if you're switching menus and stuff and you leave it on that, it thinks that you're trying to s- switch a menu so it doesn't go into like the screensaver mode. Yeah. So I think that might have been it, but it's hard to tell because it must have had to been up for hours for that to happen like usually it's it, it, it's not just if you leave it up for 20 minutes or something like that like it has right. to be like, like you leave it on time. if you go to work or something yeah, like by that. accident yeah. or like maybe if i left it on but i wasn't really watching and i was doing housework or something like that and then realized i left the tv on on the menus or something or you right? fall asleep while watching yeah. it and you leave it on yeah yeah so it's a uh, it's shitty because you pay i paid a good amount of money for that tv and now a year in i'm like do I want to like, I definitely want to get it fixed before the two years. Cause they'll cover the panel. Um, 
but I'm like, do I wait now to try and like just deal with this for a while and then do it near the end? It's going to drive you crazy. I know it will. And knowing me, like I've already, like I hate having to be like, I don't want to watch this in here and go in my bedroom to watch my other like 1080p TV. It's not like that. It's bad. Like that TV, it's like a weird, I think it's like an insignia or some like, like kind of crap brand, but it's like a good TV in the bedroom too. And, um, uh, I'm always, I don't know. I love my OLED. I love. Yeah. And this can happen to any TV. Like it's not just OLED. More, more so OLED and plasma. I think, I think LCD TVs, it can happen, but it's maybe not as susceptible to it. Yeah. But I I don't take my word for that. I'm, I don't, I don't know, but. Cause it it is a very nice TV. Like we're not trying to slag the brand or anything. No, I think this is just a problem. Like OLED was such a, it's still a, was a new technology. I mean, OLEDs are mostly used in smaller things um, like our phones and things like that. And only recently OLED TVs have become really popular. And I think the longer people have them, the more that they're realizing they're have some issues like with this burn in. So I just warn people, like if you're going to get a nice new OLED TV, just be very careful of what you're having. Make sure you're always putting it into a screensaver or uh, things like that. So, um, but I've even heard like, it could even happen like if you watch a ton of movies that are in 239 wide, um, the tops and bottoms are going to be black, right? So it's not using any light. And right. then the, uh, the whole middle is always using the light. So if you just constantly watch movies, those pixels will probably burn out faster than than the stuff at the top and bottom because you always have black bars there, right? So it's like weird shit like that. You'd have to watch a lot of TV. It's like... And then they even have things on the TVs for this issue, like pixel refreshes and stuff like that. So I'm like surprised that that shit didn't work properly and that it did get a permanent burn in because like they were like, oh, do the pixel refresher a couple times. And I like tried that. And there are a couple other YouTube videos that you can put on that are like will flash all the different pixels in different colors for like eight hours straight to try and like even it out. But then I read some things being like that could work, but really it's just dimming all of your other pixels to match that one. So you're just dimming your TV more so. So it'll be maybe less annoying because everything's even, but your TV will be dimmer. Right. So you're lose. You're still actually, lo- you're losing more. Right. But uh, you're just dimming everything yeah. to match the other thing. Right. So, um, it's a weird thing. Like it's it just nothing's sucks. built like, to last anymore. And I know right. th- I know like for technology, the shelf life is a lot shorter than than some things. But it f- I think we're getting to a point where the shelf life of stuff. Like I think when we were advancing so quickly, things would get out of date really fast. Right. But now we're kind of and I think we've talked about this fifteen episodes ago or something. But like we've kind of plateaued a little bit. Like how much better can things get? Right. So, well, I don't mean the advancements in technology, but, you but I, mean, mean, like, I mean just actually having to long, buy a new yeah. one or replace it. Like it feels yeah. like even just with a simple thing like a, a, a phone charger, you know, those iPhone uh, chargers, the wire gets twisted and, and the plastic I've sort never of, had that happen to me. It happens to me all the time. I don't know what the all fuck the you time. guys are doing with your chargers. Because like I've... I've had that happen with a laptop charger because I'm always like twisting it around like, right. to do it. But with my iPhone chargers, I guess now I use the wireless charging, so I don't notice it as much. Maybe, but what about what about the uh, your actual buds, like my your, AirPods? Yeah, your pods. Not um, not not your new ones, but like oh. ones in the past. No, I've never really ruined. I don't remember. I never listened to much music and stuff like podcasts and stuff. I would, but like I'm not one of those. Now with my AirPods, I think I listen more than ever. But 
and I love those things. But um, yeah, I agree with you. Like even then, like with my AirPods, they're like fucking three hundred dollars, and I have my phone in my pocket sometimes. Yeah, and they don't connect properly. Like it like cuts in and out, and I'm like, I have to fucking hold my phone in my hand for this to work. It's like, anyways, we, I, I could just complain about first certain, world problems. Yeah, yeah, nitpicky things that my three hundred dollar uh, headphones don't work properly, or my two thousand dollar TV is crapping out after a year right um but you would hope that like an investment like that would last a lot longer right. with having any i don't problems. know how that's an I- like that shouldn't be an issue and they said that when i contacted them they're like oh this shouldn't be happening and i'm like yeah of course no shit it shouldn't be happening but like it did and it's fucking annoying um ah god but like whatever we'll see i'll get it fixed um other than that i haven't really been watching um all that much just catching up on youtube and and yeah podcasts and things like that but i haven't really been watching many i've really slowed down lately when it comes to watching like i've only been watching new release stuff mostly right um what about you uh well you actually also inspired me to rewatch uh godzilla okay. on 4k roland emmerich's uh you picked masterwork. It up, yeah yeah I haven't seen I have it in ages. I had neither. The only thing I remembered really from actually, actually nineteen ninety nine would have been the last time I saw it. Seeing I, it in theaters yeah. was it ninety nine? I thought it was ninety eight. Oh, ninety eight. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, was the scene with Jean Renault and Matthew Broderick um, trying to get into um, this hazardous area, and the way that Jean Renault sneaks past security is he has him and his other. Uh, French soldiers chew juicy fruit gum because it makes them sound and look more American. Okay. And I just weirdly remember that. And then the other thing that I also kind of remembered and then rewatching is like, oh, yeah, Roland Emmerich, um, none of his movies were liked by Siskel and Ebert. They would <laughs> yeah. always give his stuff thumbs down. So he created characters in The Mayor is is uh, is. Rod, it's basically Roger Ebert, uh, played oh, yeah. by Michael Lerner. And then there's another guy called Gene, uh, Roger <laughs> and Gene. And at the end of the movie, there's a scene, spoiler alert, where he gives thumbs down to one of the uh, actions or, or directions that yeah. he gives. Oh, really? So, yeah. And, and, I don't and remember that. It was kind of interesting just rewatching it from, you know, a nostalgic point of view, but it is a pretty bad movie. Yeah, I don't remember much other than I vividly remember the marketing for that movie. Same. And that was the big thing I was excited about as a kid because I remember seeing like, you know, this new take on Godzilla, which is, you know, just really uh, cultural appropriation in in, in the Hollywood. What was the first Hollywood version of Godzilla? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I just remember being really excited about it and, you know, like them promoting that soundtrack with the oh, remix yeah. version of Cashmere, Cashmere. by uh, P. Diddy and, and, and Jimmy Page did uh, the guitar Da-na-na. re-recording of that. But, yeah, the movie itself isn't that great. And I was I, I always thought of like, oh, this is going to be like another Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's why I was so excited for it. Yeah, they even kid. had action figures yeah. like it was the, that kind of movie. I remember was it. Pizza Hut or Taco Bell or something. One of them, like, yeah. Like they had yeah. toys and, and puppets that you could yeah, buy yeah. And, and all that. And yeah, it was it was a big summer movie and it was being marketed directly to kids because it was a monster film, but it was a monster movie that was PG thirteen, PG and and you know, it wasn't like scary. It had Ferris Bueller in it. Yeah, yeah. And um he's not good in it either. No. Uh, Hank I... Azaria, I think, probably is 
the best, but that's not saying much. I really should. Hammerman. Yeah, I, I've been kind of morbidly curious to rewatch it. It's worth going back just as a nostalgic thing, and especially if you had seen it before, um, or if you want to know. If you're if you're doing a, a marathon of Godzilla movies with the upcoming uh, Godzilla King of the, King Monsters. Of the Monsters coming out, it's 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 a fun little movie to maybe revisit in that regard. But it is a bad B movie, <laughs> and it has too big of a budget. The effects are awful now. Like they even right. like, even with the 4K remaster. But the special they effects look, wouldn't have been mastered in 4K. No, right? no, no. So but just like even, the, the well, like that's the actual, what I mean. They probably look even worse. Oh, they because, do. Yeah. It's terrible. But the designs looked bad even then. It was just that I think we were kids and we were just kind of caught up in the marketing of it all. Um, it's just badly written, badly put together. And not that it dissuaded me to go back and revisit other Godzilla movies because I really love that genre. But yeah, it's it's not worth revisiting unless you have a nostalgic attachment to it yeah fair and yeah i just vividly being at the movie theaters and seeing that green neon green almost like yes yeah yeah the title like the title was the movie it's the same thing with spawn like i remember being really excited for spawn for some reason as a kid and then like seeing like the 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 title and just like that one poster of spawn in the dark and the and the white and the black and the green eyes coming out yeah it's like that's the stuff that you remember as a kid and then when you actually see the movie it's like oh it's a big piece of crap <laughs> yeah yeah you got that creaky boy chair i, think. I do i do, do well, both s- of them are kind of are creaky. they sw- swap it with the other one i want to hear that okay all right hold on we're gonna this do is exciting a- podcast <laughs> eric switching chairs um but yeah i i just vividly remember like the all the toys from pizza hut and taco bell like casper casper yeah um, flipper that sounds a little bit better i think does it hold on oh wait no oh is that worse or better well, I'm wi- I'm actually really like wiggling in this chair to show you how much. Oh, I think that's worse. Go yeah, back to the other one. I told you. <laughs> Playing musical chairs. Damn Canadian tired uh, island chairs. I mean, they're nice chairs. They it's are, just nice. uh, I hate that they're squeaky boys. Yeah, that is I guess better. Just try not to move, okay? Okay. Fuck, man. Ruining still. this podcast. Uh, anything else you've been watching? Yeah, so I, I talked about it on last week that I've been watching uh, the Shudder revival series of Joe Bob Briggs's uh, The Last Drive-In, which used to be uh, Monster Vision on TNT. And he had uh, a double bill of um, The Stuff, which I had already watched, and uh, Street Trash which I had never seen before, but it always had, like, it, like I'd seen clips of it online because it had a reputation of being one of the grossest um, sub-genre horror movies, which Joe Bob Briggs titles melting movies, where people <laughs> melt. So the film is basically about a group of homeless people in New York in 1984. The film was made in 84, but it wasn't released until 87. And it's about sort of um, this one guy gets a hold of a, a, a bottle of liquor that has been discovered in a convenience store that has been unearthed that hasn't been used since like the 1960s. Okay. And you one sip of this thing, you uh, just completely uh, combust and melt and it's disgusting and <laughs> horrible. And I'll show you, I got to show you some like a clip of it. Like okay. it's funny. Like it's not like, it's not gross in the sense that it's realistic because, like, you melt into, like, pastel colors and, like, greens and blues and stuff like that. And, like, there's one scene in particular where one guy is sitting on a toilet and melts into the toilet. 
Um, but well, it's also just clean a, about it. You know? Yeah, it's it's still a terrible movie because it's badly written. It's badly directed. Um, it's extremely offensive to both uh, the homeless community, but also there's a gang rape in it. Jesus Christ. And, yeah. And there's necrophilia. It's just like it's... It's a terrible movie. I'm not happy that I saw it, but from <laughs> reputation, I was kind of just curious about okay. it. Okay. Um, but it's it's a truly awful movie. What, what's kind of interesting, though, and i got to look up the director's name, and, and Joe Bob Briggs was talking about this on the show, is that the guy who directed this, so a lot of, the majority of the actors in this only did the one film. Okay. they're all terrible. Fair. But the director of this movie, James uh, Murrow, um, became a one of the most in-demand Steadicam operators. Um, and this is the first movie that he, he bought a Steadicam with, with his uh, late uncle's inheritance. And you can tell that the movie is just like literally Steadicam shot after Steadicam shot. So you have, you know, people uh, or, or scenes where things are zooming in and out and moving to yeah. different sequences. And you can tell like they're having fun with that. And maybe that is the most interesting part of the movie. But he's worked with like James Cameron and Michael Mann and all these filmmakers. Good for him. <laughs> you know, born again Christian who doesn't like talking about this film. Okay. So, yeah. That's probably the most interesting thing. But he lived and learned, you know? Yeah. And it is really a movie where if you watch it, you need to take a shower afterwards. Wonderful. Yeah. All right, uh, moving to staying at home. If you're staying at home this week and you don't want to head out to the theater because Eric and I complain about how awful it is to go to the movies, um, but still go to the movies. It's great. Yeah. We're, we're mostly kidding. Or um, go on go on a Sunday night, if you can, before a work week or or, or an, a matinee or afternoon screening. Like Those are the best mm-hmm. to go enjoy a movie and, and actually not have to worry about distractions from other people as well. Yeah, yeah. That's a good tip. Uh, but if you do want to stay at home this week, I have some digital picks for you guys. Uh, this is obviously... On Let's my... get digital. <laughs> digital. Um, this is for the Canadian iTunes store, so I apologize to our uh, American and European and wherever else in the world uh, people listen But not to Australia. Us. Yeah, Australia, I don't know what the fuck you guys do over there. I know your entertainment uh, selections are very expensive. Everything is way more money there. Right. Um. Although it gets pretty pricey here when you compare us to the U.S. dollar and right. stuff. But, and koalas have syphilis. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Forrest Gump in 4K, $10. Mm-hmm. Worth it. Yeah. Uh, Spaceballs in 4K, $7. Let the uh, Schwartz be with you. Dread in 4K uh, for $10. Now that um, is the Carl Urban Dread, not yes. Judge Dread with uh, yes. Sylvester Stallone. Yes. Uh, with Lena Headey from Game of Thrones. Yep. Um, Kick-Ass in 4K. That was uh, a more satisfying conclusion for her character for, in yeah, Dread yeah. than in Game of I Thrones. I know, I know. Um, Kick-Ass in 4K for $10, and then American Psycho in 4K for $10. So uh, every week I feel like there's at least four or five. Um, I mean, the quality always varies. Um, I try to pick out the movies that I either like or think are, are, are the best deals. Um, but $10 or under for those. And a lot of them have Dolby vision and Dolby Atmos as well. If you guys have that and don't have burn in on your TV, um, uh, those are great, great picks. So yeah. And, and speaking of American psycho, Mary Harmon has, uh, uh, a new, uh, movie out right now called Charlie says the Charles Manson movie, um, with Matt Smith, but it's more focused on his, uh, devotee cult group members and sort of trying to be, um, brought back into, 
consciousness and not be brainwashed. Okay. I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's not playing in Canada, but I do know it's playing in some parts of the U.S. And I believe uh, it's IFC that has it, and it'll be released by Shout Factory uh, in August on cool. Blu-ray. Cool, 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 cool. Any picks for you? Yeah, so week? I have two. So um, I've talked about it on the show already, but uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World is uh, now available on 4K I missed and it in Blu-ray, theaters, so I will which probably is a perfect time to up. catch up. And I know you yeah. wanted to rewatch the other two Which is well. why I think I never made it out to the theater, because I could never um, muster up the energy to watch the first two. But now that I can just watch all three in 4K at home, although... I will probably notice the burn-in because they're anima- yeah. they're animated movies, uh, but yeah, beautiful looking film, satisfying, emotionally resonant at times, and it's it's a series when you're when you're watching this or when you go back and watch the other ones, you don't realize how good they are or you take them for granted that th- these are like this is a really strong trilogy of films, yeah. and I think the first one is one of the best examples of how to use three D. Um, to your advantage and sort of creating when he's a, flying a on the dragon. yeah like those sequences I remember seeing that in the theaters in 3D and was like okay even more so than Avatar I totally get why 3D can work as a concept and, yeah and, and, and it's worth paying for um, since then not not so much I haven't seen really anything that would justify you know paying for 3D or, or, or having that headache but that movie works perfectly then or, or with 3D and and just by itself as just a standalone 2D CGI movie. It's 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 beautifully done, wonderfully written. Uh, Dean Dubois, who um, is a Quebecois uh, filmmaker, has really took his time to tell a great story over almost. Did he 10 direct years. all three? He directed the uh, one and uh, or two and three, and co-directed uh, the first one with Chris Wedge. Oh right, yeah. Is that why Jay Baruchel's in them too? Yes, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really did enjoy the first two films. It's just one of those franchises I think that gets kind of, um, under, like it, it doesn't get quite the amount of attention as maybe the Disney stuff or Pixar stuff. And, um, I just feel like it goes under the radar a little bit and that they are really solid. Um, but I do, uh, want to catch up and see that, that third one. So I will do that soon. Yeah. And then the other movie I wanted to recommend that, um, I believe is available on DVD. It's also a digital pick and you can, um, rent it, um, through iTunes or go to oscilloscope, uh, films directly. I don't like getting too political or, or, or sort of bringing that into yeah. this podcast. Cause it's like, we're, you know, we're pretty easygoing guys. Yeah. But, um, in light of what is going on in Alabama, I was thinking a lot about this movie. And if, if you're not aware, um, the, uh, government has recently passed a the american government the american government specifically in yeah. alabama have passed a new bill saying that it is it's what georgia as well I georgia think, and it's how eight weeks yeah is a, six to eight weeks six to eight weeks abortion is considered illegal up to like uh like a murder charge essentially. yeah and i mean we so can, we're not getting every detail but right yeah you can and, go to you'll be charged if you uh, have an abortion after. Yeah, and and I think it's safe to say that both of us are, are pro-choice. Yes, and also, um, you know, it shouldn't be up to men to make these. It should not. No, it yeah. should not ever. Period. Yeah. Um, not even really worth debating. Yeah. Um, and so this movie called After Tiller, um, which is a film that 
kind of it's not about this specific incident because it was released in uh 2010 or 11 but it's about the assassination of dr george tiller who was killed in kansas and um sort of his co-workers and colleagues having to go on without him and, and sort of doing, uh, working without him. And the abortion is, um, it, it was a controversial um, sort of abortion clinic because it was like the third trimester. It's a late abortion um, process. And so it caused a lot of controversy. And also it's sort of like, how does the staff go on without this doctor who was kind of the main guy who was sort of in charge of it? And also you get to see, you know, from the patient's point of view, why they're making these decisions. And it's a very powerful, difficult watch, but it's one that I think resonates and it feels very timely. Yeah. So it, it's not easy to talk about either because it's been a while since I watched it, but I've just been weirdly thinking about it. Cause the, the first time I saw it was at hot dogs and I just was thinking to myself, like, I think a lot of people, more people should be talking about this film and should be seeing it. And um, if you have the chance, if, you know, it's not, again, it's not an easy watch, but yeah. I think that you... Important, and I think it's a good shout out. Yeah, Especially yeah. in the time that we're in. I, I, I don't want to get the movie wrong, but I believe Nevis, she's in Cannes right now, and she saw a movie that was very topical too, that she said was very, very powerful, that was dealing with similar subjects that's playing Cannes right now too. Um, it was on her Instagram story, but I'll have to kind of get that title and maybe report back next week or something like that. But yeah, uh, but after Tiller, if, if if you want to check that out, it's it's uh, available on Oscilloscope Films. And um, again, you know, educate yourself and 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 learn about this and get angry and 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 have a conversation. One thousand percent agree, man. I'm going to change chairs. Um, yes, I got you a different chair. I don't know what the fuck is going on with my um, island chairs, but I got you a nice dining room chair that will not squeak, um, but you won't be able to kind of move around as much, but uh, you'll be good. Uh, all right, um, we'll move on. Uh, we're going to go on to talking trailers. So from <laughs> something very important and powerful and uh, something that you should watch to something that you probably never need to watch, but we're going to talk about it anyway, uh, Angel Has Fallen. <laughs> Jesus, what a segue. Uh, has um, uh, dropped its first trailer, which I've been uh, wondering wh when the hell we were going to get this since we're – uh god we're in what month is it um, it's the end we're, we're coming to the end of may and uh this is coming out in august so we finally got our uh first trailer for um angel has fallen which i originally thought was going to be on air force one and then i'm disappointed that it's not right. um the angel refers uh, to our hero yes mike bannon portrayed oh by jerry butler <laughs> um looks more of the same uh no aaron eckhart this time uh morgan freeman's uh, I forget the tr tr Truman or something, or I forget what his his character. He was the name vice. Is. Right? He was the vice uh, president. Who he is now the president. Uh, Mike Bannon is now protecting Morgan Freeman instead of Aaron Eckhart. Uh, they're on like a fishing trip at whether it's Camp David or wherever the hell that they are. Um, and then there is a drone attack on um, uh, President Morgan Freeman and uh, the same president from Deep Impact and. Um, and Mike Bannon is framed for it. So he has to kind of go on the run to prove his innocence. Um, the trailer's fucking ridiculous. It's stupid. It's always um, a redemption tale with yeah. him, though. Like, even the first movie was kind of like him having to, you know, redeem himself. And even in the second one, there was questions of whether or not he 
betrayed the president and now it's like they're just going a full-on you know, same yeah. framing thing and, and i'm sure be... it's going to be very xenophobic oh and... yeah and just incredibly violent and just probably borderline offensive right <laughs> and um but i unabashedly kind of enjoy these movies like just because of how dumb they are and um i think they they both take themselves really seriously but also know exactly what they are um but i think if you watch it in the right way and and um i i think you could kind of make fun of them and enjoy them um but i believe there probably is a section of people who do take them very seriously right (laughs) and um and anyways i don't want to get into it but um it looks terrible but i'm i'm excited to kind of watch this shit show and it's a uh, rick roman wah who directed this one who also did the uh anti-drug movie uh snitch with the rock oh yeah and uh shot caller boy yeah what i like snitch though or at i least didn't I remember mind it I, we snitch. saw that i remember yeah. seeing that with you i don't remember anything from it um i remember being perfectly fine with it right i think i don't literally couldn't tell you a single thing that happens <laughs> in snitch um so yeah not much else to do you have much else to say about angel is fallen not really it looks other so than, dumb um it co-stars piper parabo uh lance yeah. reddick yeah they add in a few new uh yeah faces. nick nolte oh yeah nick nolte plays his dad that's the <laughs> best line the in the trailer it's like i'm with the secret service dad <laughs> yeah it's the best so yeah nick nolte plays uh jerry butler's dad and it looks like they have to do some kind of home alone-esque like um now do you think this is partly a documentary where they just actually found nick, nick nolte, nolte in living the woods? in the woods <laughs> <laughs> probably um but no it looks really dumb and i'm surprised that they've made three of these movies but they do um, well yeah so it's much like I mean, look at what John, John Wick this weekend sixty million dollars, pretty much. Like, right. For a movie that made fourteen million dollars, its opening weekend, the first film. Uh, I mean, that it, was essentially a VOD yeah. movie. Like it was, they were questioning whether or not to release it straight to to video on demand. It's crazy, and then this reminds me, kind of obviously not as successful, but like a similar kind of like these are sort of like elevated vod movies right? yeah well white house down didn't get two sequels am i right i hate white house Down. it's not good going back to godzilla right yeah. um so yeah angel has fallen uh coming out in august uh you brought a trailer up you showed mike and i when we were at uh, mike's house waiting to go over to rocket man uh trailer for a movie called the lodge which yes. played sundance yeah, with Riley um, Keough, it looks like a you know single location horror movie, a chamber piece. Um, with a about kid a, from It who changed his name. Yeah, because uh, and... he's uh, in witness protection after the Book of Henry. Um, I Jordan about that, Lieberman was his name. But yeah, now, and now it's, it's Jordan Martell. Martell, yeah. Yeah, um, same kid, just different last name. Again, witness protection program. <laughs> um, so it's about a, a stepmom, a new stepmom, and uh, her stepkids trying to bond in this cabin in the woods uh, over a very cold wintry uh, weekend and it becomes a psychological drama what or appears to be a psychological drama as we learn that maybe um, there is a nefarious uh, meaning behind everything I mean they, they're hinting or they're directly saying that um, she has ties to a cult and she was the only survivor of it and 
Um, what I like about these movies, I mean, it does kind of look like a combination of both Hereditary and It Comes uh, at Night, which yeah. Riley Keough was also in. Um, but both, I kind of both like, wonderful movies. Watch them. Yes, but I kind of like the single location, cold, chilly thriller kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And the more that the movie gets under your skin and kind of screws with you instead of relying on jump scares, I think it's a more effective as a horror movie. So I'm, I'm kind of into it. I didn't like the filmmaker's last movie, which is Goodnight Mommy as much because it really hinges on a twist. Um, but there's stuff in that movie that I can understand why people really did gravitate towards it. But yeah, um, is that the one with the kid in the mask? Yes. Yeah. Which plays kids. In, yeah. Midnight madness. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, not a bad concept, uh, very nihilistic, kind of is Michael Haneke light um, at times, but I think that its twist is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I haven't watched it. Maybe, I I, I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll check it out before this, but this looks cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally in. Yeah, I like you compared it to those hereditary and it comes at night. Well, which, there's even a dollhouse that she looks in and, yeah. and like again, the it comes at night thing where it's like what's – outside that can hurt you and even what's actually happening yeah yeah and 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 what is the threat is the threat coming from within or is the threat coming from outside yeah it comes at night underrated man. really underrated um a slow burn and i understand if uh a24's marketing team is very good at convincing you uh that a movie will be terrifying and but slightly different than what you actually get um and trey edward schultz has a new movie coming out this year uh, with Lucas Hedges and uh, Sterling K. Brown called Waves. It is coming out this year? It looks like it. It's probably going to be a festival film at least. Ooh, baby. Um, so if you haven't heard about that, I'll just quickly say that it's a movie that is a musical that takes place, that bookends. So the movie end, actually begins at both the ending and the beginning and meets in the middle. And the score is done by uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, man, I cannot wait for that. Ooh, baby. Uh, all right, moving on to uh, there was a second. Usually, I only cover, or I try to only cover like first trailers on here, so we don't like kind of repeat ourselves over and over again. But there was a new trailer for Midsummer, talking about a twenty four horror Midsommar. movies and talking about Hereditary. Right. So Ari Aster's uh, new film, uh, Midsummer. There was a teaser a uh, month or two back, right? Yeah, with um, the uh, the white. Uh, oh yeah, letterboxing. Yeah, yeah, the boxing. Yeah, uh, which is very weird. This one I don't think had that. No. Um, so I don't know if that was like intentional in the last one or. Uh, anyways, uh, second trailer for this uh, reveals a bit more of the plot and what's going on. Um, and I was totally in for this man. I think this looks great. And, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people said that he was riffing on the Wicker Man with Hereditary at times. This one, he <laughs> literally is, or at least yeah. what we're presented with looks like the wicker man so the idea um is a couple that are basically on looking like they're on the outs yeah they're having some relationship Jack issues and florence Pugh. florence Pugh looks like she has uh issues with depression i believe right and right like, and they're, yeah. they're just relationship wise yeah. like they're they're at a at a time that they're not uh, they're at a standstill basically like it's almost like they probably should break up. Maybe it's healthier for both of them, but yeah. they're kind of just together because maybe they've been together for a long time now. So them and their group of friends go to Sweden and uh, they go to this kind of uh, ceremony that happens every 90 years. And we find out that maybe the ceremony isn't what it looks to be and that uh, it's actually something very, very dark and sinister. Yeah, it looks great, man. And like... 
Um, I love the idea of um, it being very bright and pastel too. Right. Like horror, like daytime horror, I think is hard to pull off if that makes sense right that term. sounds like a show though uh, welcome back to daytime, daytime horror, horror. <laughs> yeah um right it's hard to make things unsettling or sinister like it you can do it but i mean i guess maybe our, we're just formed of like oh spooky movie it needs to be dark and you need right. to not kind of see yeah what's going and, and on. like you said like the bright um, kind of uh earthy tones of everything yeah. that doesn't necessarily send chills down your spine but i think that's what is interesting about this i trailer agree completely yeah is that you know, um, don't go with the expected, mm-hmm. you know, like scare us in a way that we're, we feel a sense of comfort. We don't, we're not afraid of these things, but make us afraid of them. Yeah. You know, and Hereditary did the same thing with family. Agreed. So I, I hope that this will be, I mean, he, Ari Aster's talked about this kind of reflecting how the relationship is going. Like the, the, the ceremony that is happening is almost like this weird metaphor metaphor for the relationship becoming almost apocalyptic. Right. It starts off really <laughs> fun. Yeah. And then kind of, and then yeah. it just becomes a nightmare. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm really psyched for this. Um, this is also in the summer. Yeah. July. It was actually yeah. supposed to come out at the end of August or mid August. But, they moved but now up. they moved it to the, the July 3rd. Yeah, that's probably a better date yeah. for it. Now, it doesn't have distribution in Canada as Yeah, well, you talked about that last week. Yeah. Um, the Farewell just got picked up, though, by VVS Films. Okay. So, yeah, and we've seen VVS. I mean, they picked up uh, uh, the Jonah Hill. Well, why am I blanking? Mid, mid, mid-90s. mid-90s. Like uh, Midsummer. Midsummer, yeah. Um, you think it, it unfortunately, it didn't happen in the <laughs> mid-90s. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, I mean, I could see VVS picking up, but, uh, we'll or see. Or Elevation Pictures, yeah. which has also picked up a lot of, uh, A24 stuff, and then also Mongrel Media, uh, they have the souvenir coming up, so. Right, so it'll be one of those, yeah. we'll, but we probably won't hear about it until closer. I think I'm more concerned about, um, The Last Black Man in San Francisco getting distribution here, because Midsommar is a, at least a accessible wide release where The Last Black Man in San Francisco seems like a film that will be a much smaller platform movie. I would love to just see it have a run at Lightbox or something, right? right? Like, Which I hope it does. Yeah. But that's the one that I'd be more concerned with getting Canadian distribution out of the three that are going to be playing this summer from A24. Even any of these A24 movies, I would, I hope... A lot of the smaller stuff that these Canadian studios picked up, I wish they would go the lightbox route instead of releasing them like at Varsity and, and Young and Dundas or something. Or like, right. it, it's just... Yeah, because, I mean, nothing against the audience at Varsity, but I do sometimes question like how interested would that audience be in a movie like The Farewell or... Um, you know, The Last Black Man in, in San Francisco compared to The Lightbox, which is going to show it in the best way possible, yeah. with the best sound. And, and I'm fine with it even playing both Varsity and Lightbox because I feel like they're far enough away from each other right. that it gives you an indie option. Because, like, Varsity, for those of you that don't know, is, like, the theater for when we get limited release films, right? Like, usually if there's, like, a platform release where it goes New York, L.A. first – then it usually expands to like Chicago, Toronto, and some kind of other bigger American cities. Yeah, and it then, slowly rolls out. Yeah. But, but I'm just talking about the area because it is very rich, upper class. Rich and white. Yeah. Rich and white, older as well. Yeah. And I just feel like a movie like, like even like Moonlight. When Moonlight, but they was, do big, go- Moonlight was so perfect for 
Lightbox. Lightbox. Yeah. And, and it did very well there. Yeah, yeah but it got, you know, Cineplex had this whole yeah when it was, it was gonna it, right? be an exclusive yeah so but, so uh, who knows with all of that stuff like i think it's smart to play those kinds of movies at lightbox but varsity's just always been known as that theater for that stuff right, right. so i don't i'm not saying take it away no just i'm not give either people, but i'm give saying people the option yeah give like exactly like open it in both theaters as you said far enough away and let people have make a choice like have a decision to either go to varsity or see it at the lightbox yep uh, and then finally, uh, there's two HBO trailers that um, I didn't watch the second one because I'm not done Westworld season two yet. And I don't know if the trailer for Westworld season three really would spoil anything for me. Not but, necessarily. Um, it almost feels like you're watching a trailer for a completely new show. That's what people keep saying. So I haven't watched the Westworld trailer yet. I, I do plan. I have three episodes in season two that I never got around to. Um, and I do plan on watching them. Um, but yeah, did you watch it? So it's a, the new the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, thoughts. You said you were kind of exhausted by the show yeah, already. Just, just with the season. Cause I've only gotten through halfway uh, through season two. Yeah. And I almost kind of gave yeah. up. Same. And that, I, that's unfortunate. Cause I do, I did really enjoy the show. But yeah. I mean, I think the first season was, was really fun, but it, I think it almost should have been a mini series. I agree completely. Um, it, I mean, it almost does feel like an extended mini series in, in its own way. Um, but yeah, I watching it, I was like, okay, it almost looks like they're doing something similar to the leftovers where they're almost rebooting it. Um, but still within the same within timeline the same, and yeah, show. Yeah, and the right? same world and yeah. world building and, and characters and stuff like that. But like they focus – like the trailer is – and this isn't really spoilers, but it's just completely focused on Aaron Paul. And Aaron Paul's never been in the series as of yet. So it's like weird that you're focusing on a completely new character for the majority of this teaser. And then a familiar face shows yeah. up. I, I've read about it, but – um, so yeah, I haven't watched that, but then I did watch the trailer, uh, for his, what's the, his dark materials. Yeah. His dark materials, which is a, um, an adaptation of a, it's a series of books. Yeah. It's like Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you remember, uh, at that time when Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter were successful, there were a lot of studios buying up the rights to other fantasy novels for young adults and children, um, Aragorn and uh, the Spiderwick Chronicles and we got shit tons of them. Yeah, yeah, and so one of them was the Golden Compass. Yeah, which is part of that series of his Dark Materials. Yes. Oh, is it? That's what it is. Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> did not know. Come that on, at Matt. All. I, I don't know any of this shit. I was never into fantasy stuff. Right. Like right, like I never read Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or any of that stuff when I was younger. Sam and, Elliott was in. Uh, um, the 2000 golden compass is bad right yeah it's boring yeah but it kind of to me it feels like it was almost like you were watching a series as a film like it felt like it was only just getting more interesting as you went along but a lot of it i didn't retain like i just remember ava green was like an ancient witch who never ages and sam elliott was a space pirate cowboy um and nicole kidman had like a creepy ass monkey as her like um, I can't remember what they call their their uh, their their creatures, but they're it's basically it's almost like Pokemon, where like they have right. like, um, a, a, an animal that represents them as a as a as a being, and they're like tethered to each other, and so every person has one, and and one of them was a polar bear, and um, I do remember the 
the polar bear from yeah. the poster. Uh, so what did you think of this? And and my question, I guess, is is this for adults or I would say yes. Yeah. I mean just from the tone of the trailer. So it this seems... stars James McAvoy, Lynn Manuel Miranda, uh, Ruth Wilson. Ruth Wilson, who, who is I like playing a lot. the Nicole Kidman role, I believe. Yeah. Um, um, and who's the kid in it? I have no idea. Uh, look that up as as I'll continue to talk. Um, yeah, I would say that this is probably geared towards um, an, a mature audience, but also specifically a mature audience that maybe read the books when they were kids. Right. Um, and yeah, I just I just remember that first movie from New Line being kind of a big deal and everybody was really excited about it because a lot of people do consider this to be as good as Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter and the people that love the material are like diehard fans of it but when the movie was released like it was it was considered one of the biggest bombs of that year like it it almost destroyed New Line I think right um but I I can't like I I remember seeing it in the theater and I usually have a pretty good uh recall Re- like of stuff. retention yeah I can't remember. Other than Nicole Kidman and her monkey, I can't remember anything. There was a time when all of those movies came out and they all kind of blended together. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, it's it was like with, you know, the after Hunger Games was successful, you had all these YA adaptations of dystopian futures. You know, I, there are trends that always occur when one thing is successful. We're even seeing it now with the superhero stuff, obviously. But um, yeah, like it was just a part of one of those fantasy films post Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter where every studio was trying to get their version of that. Yeah, and we're stupid. It's Daphne Keene from Logan. Oh, she's, um, well, she's good. Yeah, she's Because I was going to say it's Dakota Blue something, but I think that was the little girl from the the original one. Yeah. I'm going to actually look that up now. No, because... Daphne Keene is great. She's amazing at Logan. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I dug this trailer. I mean, I'm I'm down. I mean, HBO well, is shit, really... Daniel Craig was in the original one as well. Right, yeah. So Dakota Blue Richards was the lead in the original version. Okay. So that's Because I was thinking that was the lead for the new version. Right. No. So, yeah, it's Daphne Keene, who is fantastic in Logan. We have Ruth Wilson, James McAvoy, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, and then you got uh, all, all the rest of the supporting cast. But I was curious because I, I thought they were kids' books. That's why I was like uh, – I was curious of this. Is this made for adults? I know HBO has, has tinkered with – I mean, they did Sesame Street for a little while, right? And um, Or recently. Yeah, I, I mean, when they they, but when they when they made Oscar a crack addict, I think that <laughs> took a little bit of a dark turn. Yeah. Um, just Oscar the Grouch shooting heroin in that trash But I would can. say that this is probably more um, for... Because it looks dark. Um, yeah. And I think it looks cool. I mean, I'm not the biggest... I think I like Lin-Manuel Miranda as a person. And a personality more than I like him as a actor. Wasn't he just on Brooklyn Nine Nine um, as well? He was. Um, I haven't caught up with the the latest seasons. I haven't watched. It's out on Netflix soon. Okay. Because I like that they do the thing where they just drop it. Because like, he's right playing Amy's the, brother, right? Yes. Um, and he's fine. I mean, I you can tell he's a theater actor. I guess yeah. if that makes sense. Like, I don't mean that as an insult, but like, I just don't know if that always translates. No, no, well. that's that's fair. Because um, there's a lot of great theater actors that. Like when they're on the stage, they command yeah. the audience, and you and they need have this... to be a little bit more over the top. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to filming, that transition, even vice versa as well, doesn't always work, especially because filmmaking is more of a technical thing, and the way that like you have to, you know, do scenes over and over and over again, and sometimes the charisma that you have on stage doesn't necessarily. Uh, translate to yeah. It almost seems like you're overperforming sometimes, yeah. right? And I think and that was with him with Mary Poppins Returns, and I mean, 
to his defense, he was saddled also with a bad British accent. Yeah. Um, that didn't do him any favors. But I would kind of like to see him do something that maybe like he has created himself, like something that is completely controlled by him, that's written by him, that stars him. Um, whether it be in television or in film, and see if he can make that work. Because everything we've seen him in is either Disney-related, um, whether it be behind-the-scenes writing you know, songs for Moana or the upcoming Little Mermaid movie um, or Mary Poppins Returns, or like he plays teachers in, in a lot of films. Like He was in that odd life of Timothy Greenleaf as like a teacher randomly. Um, and that's what happens to a lot of uh, Broadway actors. Uh, yeah, I... I, I... I'm sorry, I'm looking around because um, uh, James McAvoy's playing the Daniel Craig character. Right. And then, like you said, Ruth Wilson's probably playing the Nicole Kidman character. Yeah. And I just had this weird thought, so keep talking, but I think. Oh, well, I... I was going to say that McAvoy uh, has, uh, you know, he's gone from playing a fawn to playing the role that Daniel Craig played in a previous. Uh, fantasy movie, so he's really moving up in the world. Um, but it's it's also interesting because BBC, I mean, it, it's a BBC production that is being um, distributed in North America by HBO. So maybe it is sort of skewering to a younger audience to a certain degree, or at least um, an adolescent audience. And HBO does take a lot of uh, BBC stuff, or sometimes Showtime does as well. Um, but like BBC also had uh, Chernobyl, which is which is playing right now, and that was something that they took. And have you watched it yet? No, not yet. But I, I do want to uh, get to that at some point. Uh, Matt is uh, looking through some books right now. I thought we owned these. Sorry if people can't hear me. Um, I just had this weird thing. I'm like, I think we have these books. Well, they're, like, they're three different names. Yeah, I so. think Nevis got them as a gift, but I could be completely wrong. I don't know. But what's interesting, and we should mention this as well, is because Game of Thrones is over now, you can see like HBO is trying to figure out like what is <laughs> yep. the next... That's what I was just saying, yeah. ...series. Is it going to be Watchmen that they put all their time and advertising into? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be... What else do they have coming up? They have a new Emma Thompson uh, series. Big Little Lies season two. But that's I not going to last. I, I know. Like, and yeah. it's not. Game of Thrones, you're talking like what's going to be their new big, gigantic epic. Right? Yeah. What is like, what is their sort of their 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 main show? Like they had The Sopranos. They've had this Game of Thrones. They tried right? with Westworld. Right. And, they, and I think it's it was still pretty big, but I think it's kind of petered out a little bit. But we'll see what this next season does. Watchmen, I don't see being... I mean, it, it could. It is a big adult drama, much like Game of Thrones, but... And it is um, fantasy-esque, even though it's based on a comic book, but it's still playing within genre. Yeah. So it's almost like they're trying to find... Like you mentioned with Westworld, like I think it's almost like they were, they were hoping that that was going to be the show that would work in between Game of Thrones seasons or be the show that would, would take that would take their throne, would take the HBO throne. Yeah. But is now, I don't know what they're going, because they even have that, uh, that um, Christian evangelist comedy series with Danny McBride and John right. Goodman. But that's more in the vice principles. Like, right, uh, right. But I mean, and but the, even a comedy they could, you know, use to propel themselves. I guess like Silicon Valley's done. Almost correct? right. Or is it? I thought done? it was. 
still had one season to go. Maybe or did they finish? I, see, don't know. I don't like even with that show, which I enjoyed watching, but it kind of petered out. Yeah, right? like for me, it was like, oh, I I had my fill of it, and then I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't really need to go back. I mean, you're still gonna get another season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. There um, is the Stephen King series that's coming out with um, Ben Mendelsohn and Cynthia Revo called The Outsider. Yeah. But that's not being... I don't think that's premiering until 2020. Which is... Westworld's not until 2020 Yeah, well. so I'd be curious to see if maybe that catches on because Stephen King is so hot right now. You have Euphoria coming soon, too. So, like, I think Euphoria and Big, Big Little Lies are the next two drama series, yeah. right? and Euphoria is the one that is co-produced by A24, right? I believe so. It's the one with... Zendaya? Uh, Zendaya, yeah. But she's not... Um, uh, Nietzsche in this, right? No. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that looks good, too. But, like, uh, it's it's HBO has to do this thing of, like, please don't cancel after Game of Thrones, right? Right. Like, that's the big, the, the joke, right? And then um, I don't know if there's enough right now. I mean, now that I'm caught up with Barry and that I'm, I, I've watched all of Game of Thrones, I'm like, is there an HBO show that I really need to stick around for? Because as much as I enjoyed the first season of Big Little Lies, I don't really think I need a second season, or I could wait, right? right. Like, You're sounding like my brother Kyle right now. Um, I, It's just... Uh, I, that's a show where I'm like, okay, you know what? If I wait until Watchmen in the fall, which is a show that I probably do want to watch um, right away... Um, I could probably just wait and let Big Little Lies kind of pile up and then then go back in and, and watch it when I have the subscription already. But um, And His Dark Materials, I do want to give a shot. Like, I'm, I'm curious. And if they do, like, a dark... It, I, I, I like when they put a lot of budget behind things and it feels important and, and big and gigantic, much like Game of Thrones was, right? And right. Then, I mean, they've always done that. They're a premium service. It's just they're the originators of this kind of, um, uh, like, adult driven kind of um mini series or even bigger series well i mean it's the joke it's not tv it's hbo right like they created their own class of television yeah the netflix takes that and now you're getting a bunch of different streaming services that are all kind of taking the hbo way right but even stuff like fx and showtime have kind of you know had their show like i mean we, we we were shitting on dexter but there was a time when dexter was huge yeah showtime's always had their thing like every network has their I mean, FX has their Fargos and their... Right. Um, like, and, what we do in the shadows um, apparently is really popular right yeah. now. And, um, yeah, like you were saying, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead even. Like, every station has their flagship show, but it's hard to kind of make something a cultural phenomenon right away. Yeah, you kind of have to let it organically kind of... You can't shove things down people's throats. Exactly. And they, and like Tell you, them it's important. Yeah. But. Like, a, a show right now that I would almost say that maybe... Not on the extent that is Game of Thrones or The Sopranos, but a show that kind of is in that mode right now that I always hear everyone saying it's amazing and you should watch it and I want to watch it, but I just don't have time, is Billions. Like, apparently Billions yeah. is, like, really, really good, and the writing is fantastic. Is that Showtime as well? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's but it's earned its keep because it's just, you know, quietly 
amassed a, a following and the writing apparently is very strong and both Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis are great in it. Um, but it just hasn't had the attention that maybe like another Showtime show with Damian Lewis had with with Homeland, which is still coming back for another season. Yeah, again, another show I'm that's like, past its prime, right? right? And uh, I mean, we're spoiled here in Canada with our with like for Crave, you can pay ten extra dollars on top of the regular membership, and you get all the HBO stuff and all the Showtime stuff and all the Comedy Central stuff, and it's like all in one spot. Now we wish the streaming quality was a little bit better, but. Um, Again, I just don't know if there's enough right now. Like, for me, I'm trying to think of what's the next thing that I'm really excited for for TV. Well, I know a lot of people probably are excited for Stranger Things, but I even felt with, like, the season two of Stranger Things, people, like, were so excited because they found the first season and really loved the 80s nostalgia and the iconography. But then when season two came, it was kind of like, it's fine, it's more of the same, but then it kind of... People just didn't like it the same way that they really loved that first season. And even with House of Cards, like look at the first few seasons of that. And then with the last season, controversy aside of the Kevin Spacey thing, like that nobody watched the last season. Like season six, like nobody cared about. And season six, arguably, I mean, was focused on the best character of the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for Stranger Things. Like, uh, again, mostly because I, I am curious to see if they do change it up a little bit and uh, I, I just don't know where they go with that. And now that the kids are a bit older, they're in their teens, but I like that. Oh color. God, puberty captured on, yeah. on camera is, is tough. It's always interesting. Um, I mean, they worked out for brand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. And I, like you said, every, I'm excited for Better Call Saul to come back, um, talking about Breaking Bad stuff. I mean, they're doing, but then you get the weird things of like, they're doing that Breaking Bad movie, right? Which no one's talked about and everyone's right. kind of keeping quiet on it. But Would you think there would be um, more conversation? Because just a couple years ago, Breaking Bad was the show, right? But I think it's more so because AMC or not AMC, Sony um, is keeping kind of, uh, that under wraps and it leaked a little bit on when it came out that they were shooting it, but it seems like they're probably done shooting now. And right. That might come. I, I highly doubt it'll be this year. It'll it might be, be after year. better call Saul is finished. Right. Cause it, it's, is it only one more season left of that show? You'd think, um, based on where they are in that timeline, but it gets a little wonky because of like the flash forwards that are in each season and stuff. Right. Like, you could potentially do one more season where it's kind of merging with the Breaking Bad timeline, right? Because we're about, like, we're just about that time where Saul would be coming into the life of of Jesse and and uh, and uh, Walter. Walter. White. Um, but then there's also the flash forward stuff with him as Cinnamon as Gene, the cinnamon uh, uh, Cin- uh, Cinnabon manager. Um, which I love. They're all the black and white segments. But then I'm I'm wondering with this movie it being rumored that it takes place after the events of Breaking Bad with Jesse, like are they just going to kind of merge? Like is is the movie going to essentially be a sequel to both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul? See, right? that's why I could see like, you know, if this were technically the, the last, last season, season yeah. it would perfectly follow into the movie right, right? because all those flash forwards or present day sequences that you get with with um saul as gene could merge into that movie right like him and jesse could cross paths in that movie and then you kind of get 
yeah, like you mentioned, it'd be a sequel to both. Right. So, and then the Walking Dead movies with Rick Grimes, which is like <laughs> the dumbest idea because apparently like... The TV movies that they're doing? Yeah, or? like viewership was down for that even beforehand. And it's like, no, let's expand the Walking Dead even further and beyond television and let's do TV movies and a theme park ride and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I think give I, it up. I know we talk about this a lot when it comes to TV. I just... That sweet spot is like three or four seasons, which right. is why I like applaud Better Call Saul because it seems like they are just going to do the four seasons and then probably go, okay, we got, we yeah. told the story that we wanted, right? Before we started to kind of go on that downward spiral, which many, many shows, like it's so unfortunate. Homeland is was an amazing show, yeah, right? And uh, House of Cards, an amazing show. And like, there's so many of these things that just go on a little too long. And well, like, even Lost, like, like I still think that Lost But I would give is, them credit for actually being like, you know what? Okay, yeah, we need to kind of... We need to wrap this up. And yeah. they had, and I think they were unfortunate in that they had to do more than eight episodes per season. I know. So I Imagine think how good it. that show probably would have been. It would have been a lot tighter. Um, there if, wouldn't be a tattoo episode, that's God, for sure. God, those 24 episode seasons are ridiculous. But I would still take the season finale of Lost and The Sopranos over Game of Thrones any day of the week. Yep. Um, which is another interesting thing as well, you. because now we're getting a prequel to The Sopranos next year as a film. Right. A theatrical yeah. movie, right? Um, which is crazy. And um, I don't know if we'll talk about this on our Game of Thrones review, but I, I still have a theory that they they left so many... I don't want to spoil anything here, but they left so many threads open where I'm like, you motherfuckers, you didn't want to commit fully to this because I'm sure Warner... Uh, is it Warner Brothers who owns HBO, right? Yeah. Um, I'm sure they were like, uh, let's just, you know what? Let's leave it open where if we wanted to revisit this in the future, we could, whether that's in a movie or a TV movie or another season down the line, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Like, I understand, like, in some shows, the way that they end, it's not supposed to be climactic in any no, way. No, like, you don't need it to you be. You look at The Wire. Like, The Wire is the perfect example where, like, Life still goes on. It just I agree, doesn't yeah. mean like I don't think are over. every character needs to Right, but I totally agree with you with Game of Thrones. Like you can tell from like just a writing standpoint that they are doing it deliberately and it's not necessarily just like, oh well, you know, we're now moving on, like this is done. Like my we, biggest, we've told a satisfying story. My biggest problem what I was arguing people with, and I'm sure we went over this a lot in the review, but is just that everything felt like you could sit in the writer's room and, and hear them coming up with it being like, oh, fuck, we got to we gotta wrap this shit up. <laughs> like, right. And, like, we go, oh, what do we do? Oh, okay, I guess we got to do this, right? And then, like, you can just tell, like, characters were acting in, in a certain way because you know the series was going to end, right? And it didn't feel organic, and that was the biggest problem. But And I, I can just see the threads that they left open to go, you motherfuckers, you want to revisit this? And, like, just don't bullshit us like just announce them that you're going to do a movie or something because that seems like where you're going to go right. um, yeah i mean they basically are pulling like an amc with, with the walking dead with rick grimes it's yeah. like this is the last episode with rick grimes and then at the end of that episode it was like nope he's actually doing his I, own solo thing and i wouldn't be surprised if we heard in the next couple weeks while this is still kind Within of fresh the calendar year at least i yeah. would say we will hear something 
deciding the ultimate fate of where it's going in the near future because of the reaction and they might have already planned this beforehand obviously with the threads that we're talking about but i i would agree with you before 2019 is over i think we're either going to hear no that is the end of all of these characters or we're going to get i my prediction is that a movie will be announced because of the reaction mostly of just being like we know it wasn't super well received uh, we want to make it right kind of thing, and we're going to do a big, gigantic, $200 million, three-hour long... Directed by Ridley like, Scott. Uh, something. Who knows who would step in and do it. But um, I, I really do think that they will... This sounds weird, but capitalize on people's passionate reactions to it. Because I don't think people are like done with this in the sense of like if you're mad and you go i'm fucking done with game of thrones this last season ruined it for me like where if someone right. said hey we'll give you some more i i feel like there's a ton of money to be made there and the actors i think it'd be weird though because you wouldn't have those deals in their contract so who knows like if one of the people hold like what happens if like they left these threads open but maybe if whoever doesn't want to come on board the movie um is it even worth doing so we'll hear about it i'm sure but um recasting <laughs> i god no that would be the worst don't yeah. ever do that um but it will it, yeah it'd also be interesting as well just to see how like something like even though they're 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 very different in terms of their storylines and plot but like downton abbey you know having its a feature film coming up yeah, this curious year. Yeah, how that will do in theaters, like, yeah. box office-wise, right? Like, Game of Thrones would make, I guarantee you, over $100 million opening weekend. Yes, I agree with that as um, well. I mean, as long as they released it within the next four years. Because something like that will take time. Like, even though they can announce... They could announce it today. Oh, they even. wouldn't start shooting until next year, yeah. and then it would be a gigantic uh, production and would take another year, probably. So we wouldn't get that till what, 20... 22 23 maybe right if they were to like fast track it right right probably yeah i don't know yeah um which then may you're capitalizing like when's the prequel supposed to come out i think they're shooting this year so yeah, maybe either next, next year? year or 2021 yeah we'll see man all right, uh, let's move on to uh, this week in news. Um, Movie we, news. We kind of skipped most of the news last week because we went so deep into uh, uh, Disney's lineup and shit like that. So we got some stuff to talk about this week. Uh, the biggest news, which we should um, kind of kick this whole thing off with, is uh, we, I think, know who the next Batman is going to be. So Have you signed the petition um, yet, Matt? I... Okay, don't get me started on online petitions to change things. It never does anything. I, I, You want to voice your opinion on Twitter and online if you don't like something? Power to you. I tweeted last night. I was mostly trolling and joking or like joking around with my like opinions on Game of Thrones. Like I don't have an attachment to it and I don't really care. Like when I was tweeting out a, a, a dumpster fire and things yeah. like that, like release the Snyder cut of game of Thrones. Yeah, like I'm mostly joking around. Um, but it, I also think it's okay. If you do not like something, you can talk about it online and, and say that you're entitled to your opinion as long as you do it. But it's also strange if it's something that hasn't even happened yet and you're yeah. not, and you haven't even given it a chance. Like you, like I could understand like actually having, seen a show or a movie and disliking it and disliking a certain person in it or you still a don't do a petition but you can talk right. about it but it's just so weird to have it so far in advance when it hasn't even officially 
been 100 percent confirmed yet right? so anyways we didn't even talk about what we're talking about but uh so uh the batman robert pattinson is going to be playing uh batman for matt reeves in warner brothers the batman uh or so it seems there are conflicting reports some websites so variety saying, first posted this and yeah. this is justin kroll specifically yes and then there are some other people who have come out saying that it's not a done deal yet and nicholas holt could also be in the running still uh, but it looks like it's Robert Pattinson's role right now. With his sweet um, jawline. Dude, he's got the... I Like, everyone thought Ben Affleck had the right chin. I think uh, Robert Pattinson also in that upper echelon of good chins for Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, I, like, I'm, I'm totally cool with this, I think. And, like, I... I Again, I've never seen the Twilight movies. I have no interest in ever watching them. I've seen clips of them. Um, and I know people will always rag on him for those movies probably. But I think... Well, it's the same with Michael Keaton, and, right? Like yeah. when, when he was first announced, everybody was like, Mr. Mom is playing Batman? Come yeah. on. And I mean, even Heath Ledger, right? When yeah. he was cast as the Joker, people were like, wait, that guy from... How, is it How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or whatever? Yeah, Knight's like, Tale? Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> That dreamboat? <laughs> How is he going to be the Joker? So I, I, I'm totally open to it. But the thing is, I think more so than even maybe Michael Keaton or Heath Ledger, like both were great actors and people should have known that they were going to be uh, good in those roles. But uh, Robert Pattinson has shown, uh, and I know this is the film Twitter thing that people have been like, well, he's good in these movies. And well, a like, lot of people that are, that, are, that are having criticisms towards him haven't seen those movies. Right. Like a lot of them are just basing it on Twilight. Right. Like they're not saying, it's a very oh, s- I, I, I saw Good Time and I still don't think he's right, right for the role. I know. And like I think if people went out to watch The Rover or Good Time. Or, or Lost City of Zed. Yeah, or High Life. Or, or even or, Cosmopolis and, and, and as much as there Maps are, of the Stars. Yeah, you know? As much as you might not even like some of these movies. Like I'm not a huge fan of High Life. It's just not really my thing. But I, I actually appreciate that he's taking on weird roles and he's giving great performances even in movies that i don't really care for and working with international filmmakers and expanding his horizons and and sort of being eclectic with with who he works with and and i mean it's a testament to his his good taste and what he is choosing because he is trying to you know each time out cleanse the palate with something completely different like it's not the same thing twice and like even you know with the Cannes Film Festival right now with the Lighthouse, you know a lot of people seem to really be loving him in that with with Willem Dafoe directed by Robert Eggers. So he he's choosing stuff that he feels is interesting and creatively um, challenging and will also be nourishing for him as an actor. And he's working with interesting people. So from what I take from this, you know he's got the Nolan movie coming up as well, um, and also the Souvenir Part Two. Is that he's going to be making these two big blockbuster movies so that he can go back and make more of these indie films. Because as much as I love him in Good Time, he's not probably making a lot of money on this. and no. Not enough to say, like, I'm comfortable. Where with these movies, with this Batman trilogy, you know... Oh, he'll be set. He'll for, be set. Yeah. But he's also working with a filmmaker who is more than just a journeyman. Like, Matt Reeves is very much focused and adamant on making a film that we haven't seen yet in the Batman universe, specifically focusing on his detective skills. So I'm incredibly intrigued and I think it's I think it's an interesting choice and I think it's one that 
um, we shouldn't judge or react to the way that people have. And I understand the internet is full of hyperbole, but we should wait until we actually see it before making any rash decisions and uh, give him a chance. I 100% agree. And um, you guys should go and seek out some of uh, Robert Pattinson's kind of smaller things. And I, I'm totally with you of the like one for me, one for you kind of thing, even though he'll be working, it's mostly just one giant thing for you. And then right. I'll go do whatever the hell Robert I want. Robert Pattinson after. is the Steven Soderbergh of actors. And then, uh, yeah, if you guys haven't seen the, the apes movies, the more recent, uh, planet of the apes movies, um, definitely check them out because Matt Reeves steps in, in the second one, um, and, uh, and finishes off the trilogy with war of the planet of the apes in the third one. And I think they're f- totally underrated. And, and, uh, I mean, they, they got great reviews, don't get me wrong, but I just don't think enough people like gave them a shot, if that makes sense. Right, like, well, because it was well. a part of a series that they was did considered well. niche. Yeah, right? they did well, but yeah. not like from a... And I think they like War of the Planet of the Apes, I think, is fucking excellent. And, 100%. Uh, um, but like you look at something like Bat- Batman as a property, like yeah. Batman will probably make more money than his two apes films combined yeah, 100%, right 100% so. um but also i mean look at look at what he did with uh let me in i mean he took a, he he yeah. made a an american remake of a swedish film that is one of the best vampire movies ever and he did something very unique with it and it wasn't just a complete rehash for people that weren't interested in reading subtitles like he turned it into his own thing Mm -hmm. so to underestimate matt reeves at this point would be foolish agreed so i would trust anyone who he cast in this role trust the guy who worked on felicity yeah (laughs) um it's yeah i mean all these guys who uh uh, came up with jj right yeah and jj gave him the shot with cloverfield right yeah and and look what he did with that as well as a found footage movie like he again was able to take something at that point that had been done to death and made something new of it. Yeah, monster movie. It's cool, man. Like, I, I actually, he's one of my favorite working directors right now. So, I mean, I love that he came on board with the Batman. And, like, yes, it's gone through some issues. And it seems like it's taking a long time to get there. But let him take his time. And especially with where the DC films are right now. And, like, we're still trying to figure out, like, all right. It seems like they're going back to the singular kind of... I mean, they're leaving it open that it could be a shared universe, but Wonder Woman will be focused on Wonder Woman. Aquaman's focused on Aquaman. And there might be hints at other people, but they're not More really... More so sh- Easter eggs. Than yeah, and they're not else. really shoving it down your throats that they're all connected, right? And, yeah. And we were talking about, like, the Joker movies coming this later this year, which we keep forgetting and uh, about. And who knows, again, like, that's supposed to be taking place in the 70s, correct? In like, early 80s. Uh, early 80s. Yeah. And then... Uh, who knows what how that will kind of play into this Batman movie or if it will at all. And I think it's okay either way. And um, so the next story is that the the rumored villains in the film, that like some sites are saying there could be up to six villains in the movie, like a half dozen. I, I assume... We're, we're getting a young Batman, but a Batman whose rogue gallery is pretty much established yeah so maybe they were around even before batman that like it could we could see a gotham city that's basically run by these 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 criminals in batman's rogue gallery right right which i think is kind of cool and if you take the detective route i could see it being like not all of these people will be the big bad in the movie and you might not even know who the the big threat is right Right. like Like they're red herrings um, i mean look at the way what happened with um bane in the dark knight rises right yeah 100 percent. so um yeah, the rumor is that Catwoman and 
Uh, so we're getting a Batman's Batman Returns Redux because uh, uh, Catwoman and the Penguin are rumored to be two of the main villains in the film, but other sites are reporting that there could be upwards of six um, six villains. Yeah, so you movie. had sites like Hollywood Reporter and Collider um, shortly after the announcement of Robert Pattinson also saying that, as you mentioned, Catwoman and Penguin seem to be uh, the main villains. And so we'll get, you know, the movie that made children cry in the early 90s when they, after they went to McDonald's for their Happy Meals and got Batman toys and then go to the movie and see a dirty penguin in a onesie die in a horrible, brutal way of goo coming out of his mouth. Um, I, I don't think Reeves will go as literal as Burton did in sort of creating an actual penguin man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he'll just he'll go more, more of the Oswald gangster kind of type. With a, yeah. with a hook nose, um, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, there's been rumors that Josh Gad may be playing him, and Gad's even kind of been on Twitter playing that up. And I think maybe Gad was a choice when the penguin was rumored for... The Affleck one. The Affleck one, but also Birds of Prey, because he was considered to right. be a villain for that as well, before and, they went with Black Mask. And then I was reading in the Collider article that um, Jonah Hill, or even Melissa McCarthy, as um, the penguin. Right. Um, like, I remember with the Nolan ones, when, when people were thinking, oh, the penguin was going to be a villain, they wanted um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, which would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, and he would have been great. It just but. sucks. It's, it's like, yeah, let's go with somebody that, uh, you know, it's a little bit more yeah heavy set. Rotund. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's interesting that we'd get our third iteration, fourth iteration of Catwoman within a, I forgot about the Halle Berry one. Right. So I added that in. Uh, in a short period of time. And it's interesting if Reeves, it's just, I think that's an interesting choice if they are the two main villains. Right. Um, but maybe it'll be like Detective Pikachu where we get a scene with Mr. Mind, but as the Joker, right? Yeah, hopefully. Um, but anyways, I, I, I'm, I think this has the potential of being great. And uh, I, I believe in Matt Reeves and um, I'm, I'm, I think Robert Pattinson will do a good job and I can't wait to see, who will play the villains? Because especially if there's going to be a bunch of them and smaller things and build up that, I'd be open to them building up a Batman universe. Well, I think right? that's probably what their focus is. Because if this is going to be a trilogy, the idea, and and also, I mean, Reeves again um, wants this to be a detective story. Mm -hmm. So if you bring in characters that maybe not that aren't central to this specific case, but you set them up as you know other characters, like you know he interviews, interrogates somebody in Arkham Asylum. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have that character come back in too. And maybe some of the characters haven't gone through their um, changes yeah. yet. Like, you know, Harvey Dent. You bring in Harvey Dent for this as just Harvey Dent. Kind of like in Batman Returns. <laughs> no, Batman. Oh, because sorry. he was in. He was only in Batman. Oh, he wasn't in Batman Returns? No, he wasn't. Billy Dee right. Williams wanted to be in Batman Returns. Right, right, and right. And then right. Uh, after Batman Returns, they bought out his contract because they wanted a, quote, bigger star for Two-Face. Yeah. Um and I would love for them to kind of... So what I love about the DC Comics um, and my favorite... I've always talked about this. Spider-Man and Batman were always my two my two guys when it came to superheroes and superhero comics. And they've done a good job building up the Bat family and the Bat universe in the DC Comics. So I think there is a lot of potential if DC wanted to kind of do a shared universe thing to keep it contained within Gotham and Batman or, or um, where's... 
there's a couple uh, other cities around Gotham that play into where Nightwing uh, is from. I'm not super familiar with, or not where he's from, but where he goes um, and things like that. And I would love for them to take some of Scott Snyder's stuff. Um, no relation to Zack Snyder. Um, he's one of my favorite comic book writers and he's been writing Batman for close to, I think like eight years now or maybe 10 years. Um, and he's been the main Batman writer and he's created some like new villains that have become iconic in the comics recently. So, um, he's done uh, the court of owls, um, which, which we I were think, talking about before yeah. because they, that was also rumored, rumored at one yeah. point to be the main storyline, and it still very well could be. It could be right, yeah. like, the, like you know, Ra's al Ghul and and the League of Shadows. Hundred percent. Right? So I think that would be awesome if you think the main villains, especially it being uh, the bird theme of things, if you like with the penguin being involved there. Right. Um, I think if you made the Court of Owls the main villains, but it's kind of a twist in there and you learn about the court of owls. I think that could be fucking awesome. Yeah. The penguins more and, of a figurehead than yeah. anything else. And, um, the court of owls have been kind of controlling Gotham for like, it hit like a century. They're like um, a secret society. Yes. And like a cult almost, but yeah. then there's some supernatural elements that are in there and I don't know how grounded they'll go with this take, um, of Batman in this right. universe, but, um, that could be really cool. I love the idea, too. If you guys haven't read, uh, there's a series called... It was Scott Snyder's first Batman story he wrote on Detective Comics called The Black Mirror. Um, seek that out. Go buy the the trade of it and, and read it. And then um, a lot of it plays into a series that um, Scott's writing right now called The Batman Who Laughs, which is kind of like imagine if Bat if the Joker had the abilities of Batman kind of thing. We'd and all be like, screwed. Yes, and that's essentially what this is about. And so in that in the Black Mirror, um, one of the side stories and, and who ends up becoming the main villain is uh, James Gordon Jr. So James Jr. is a serial killer in in these Batman stories. That and, family can't catch um, a break. Yeah, so um, it's really cool, though. And, like, I always thought that um, I think either Elijah Wood or Daniel Radcliffe could play a really um, twisted version of James Jr. Um, but hasn't, the, hasn't Elijah Wood already kind of done that with Sin City? Yeah, with- so it, it, that Sin City role is very similar to... Uh, this James Jr. role. So then maybe I'd like someone like Radcliffe, maybe that like Harry I, Potter goes dark. Yeah, like it could be kind of cool, right? And um, anyways, those are my like favorite Batman stories of recent memory, especially from Scott. And I think those could make for really interesting like plot threads in this trilogy, especially if they want to go a more detective route because right. the James story is more of a murder mystery story that plays with Barbara and and and. Uh, Commissioner Gordon a lot too and he's like a, a a main main character in this and then the Court of Owls is on a bigger scale but um, equally is, is is rad. I also so. liked um, it's the long Halloween right? Yep. I like that a lot with the exception of Calendar Man. <laughs> right. Calendar Man's weird yeah. There's a Easter egg. And Dark the... Victory's the sequel? Yes. Okay. Yes I believe so. Because um, I actually really liked a lot of that and I know Nolan took some inspiration with the Carmoni, uh, Carmine family and, and, and what have you but yeah. um, and the Falcones but um, it yeah I, 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 I'm just curious to see if he's gonna go full noir like in terms of like go with the genre tropes with the style is he gonna play in like are we going to see you know Batman noir like Spider-Man noir not that it'll be as campy or comical but will it play into those things because he has said that his main inspiration 
or a big influence while writing it is is uh, Robert Town's script for Chinatown. Yeah, and Chinatown is a very convoluted movie, but specifically and 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 it's supposed to be. So I wonder if like that plot for this new Batman movie, wh- whether he has to find someone or arrest somebody, gets convoluted in its storytelling or not, mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. on purpose. Who do you? Who would you like to see play Alfred? We've gotten Kevin Klein. Yeah, I think he'd be good. Cool. I mean, I would say um, Ray Fiennes, but he's already played Alfred right, in the Lego. So movie. I don't think you can do that. But I think yeah. uh, like someone like Kevin Klein, I just haven't seen him in a while, and I just think he could do a really great Alfred. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I love Batman, and I just I need Batman to get back to his former glory, right? Right. Like, what about Penguin or Catwoman? Um, like, is there anybody that? Like, yeah, comes I mean, the Jonah more? Hill thing. I, I could be down for maybe, and I but mean, as his character from Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. But I mean, Jonah Hill has shown that he 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 can play something different. I, I'm not a big Josh Gad fan. I'm not either. So I I met him in person, and I'd prefer yeah. that not to happen. Um, again, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman was still around. God bless him. But I don't know anyone coming to your mind for no, you gotta think I someone I... short, maybe Danny DeVito. You know? <laughs> Bring him back. <laughs> Uh, back, baby. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't even want to think necessarily physically like it, it doesn't has to even be have one to be. type of person. No, because even Oswald Cobblepot in, if you look at the Telltale Batman games um, on uh, console and, and PC, um, Cobblepot's more uh, similar to Bruce than he's portrayed in some other things. Like he's just a, and even in the, the fucking Gotham show, he's taller and skinnier. Right. But he right. just kind of has that, like the nose is the main feature, which you can put makeup on someone, but you maybe just, he's played by a penguin. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know off the top of my head, someone who can play like a gangster, but kind of have those tendencies that the penguin has. Right. Yeah. But, and I hope that he does go. Matt Reeves goes with people that haven't been, in uh, comic book movies, right? Um, just because I, I I always imp- appreciate like you know seeing somebody that hasn't been in one of these things kind of have their shot, and that's perfect for Robert Pattinson because right. he hasn't. Where the Nicholas Holt thing was like, you fucking played Beast already. Yeah, and he show. and he's still playing Beast. Like yeah. I mean, this year will be the release of Dark Phoenix, which, which will, will be, be probably the last, the last yeah. in that series, but. Um, I want to give credit to uh, a friend of ours, Andrew Feigl, who mentioned a, an interesting casting choice for um, Catwoman, um, uh, Anna de Armas. Anna de Armas, yeah. Armas, yeah. Which I, I'd be, be yeah. totally down for that. Yeah, I think she'd be great. Because I would have said, um, like, Elizabeth Debicki, but I know she's going to probably do Guardians 3, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, again, and that's also not... he's They're working together on the Nolan movie, too, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, is she in that? Yeah, she is, right. And, um... Yeah, for Catwoman, yeah, Anna de Armas would be really good. She's she keeps booking gigantic roles. Um, um, oh yeah, we should also just quickly mention like the Bond twenty five seems to be going through like one problem after another. Right. Daniel so Craig just broke his ankle yeah. for a week, and the script isn't really where they want it to be. And it, I worry, man. Yeah, I'm too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to think of uh, of that. Um, but yeah, I don't have anyone else in mind for the other roles. I haven't really thought about it too much. I just hope it's but... somebody that, like, when they do announce it, it's it's someone that we haven't really thought of, and it would be just an interesting choice, or just something that's like, hey, yeah, like, this would be a new take on this character that we haven't seen before, or just, like, 
the, the expect the unexpected, and I think yeah. that's the best stuff. Like, I said, Kristen like, Stewart as Carrie Kelly. See, saying. see, those are the, those are the fan casting. I know you know I'm joking. No, 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 no. Like, I know that, that. but but you've even seen Kristen bit. Stewart being mentioned for Catwoman. Like, it's it's the it's the Heath Ledger's, Robert Pattinson's, and Michael Keaton's that make those movies very unique and interesting and worth seeing. And I find that the, when people complain about it, that means it's going to work. <laughs> So, you know, um, I'm looking forward to seeing in the next year or so who joins the cast and what it'll end up being. Yeah, 100%. Um, All right. Now the next piece of news, which is near and dear to my heart. Uh, Eric, you ready to play a game, buddy? Oh, God. (laughs) Chris Rock is making uh, a Saw movie, sort of. Producing um, and, and starring ri- and it. writing. Oh, he's writing it. I believe so. Okay. Or he's like story by. Yeah. Kind of like what the rumor is with Tarantino in the Star Trek movie kind right. of thing, but not directing. So, anyways, um, let me pull up the story actually because I want because well, it's it's right. Darren Lynn Bozeman who is going to be directing the movie who has directed two, three, and four. <sighs> masterworks i like two and three i don't care <laughs> um, uh, you know me i'm a i'm a saw defender and uh, uh you're a saw boy um i am a saw boy um, do you think chris rock will be playing jigsaw oh god i hope not <laughs> um this was fascinating to me when i saw this news i was sitting at work and i don't usually have much time at work now to like be on Twitter or, or, or look at the news or whatever. But that was something where I was like randomly and it just popped up in my feed and I had to message it to you right away and go, wait, what? And um, so, yeah, Chris Rock, I guess he's a huge fan of the first film. And uh, well, he's a he in general is a movie lover. Like he is one of those guys that um, if you read interviews with him or, or, or you know, listen to his conversations like he's a big fan of like french new wave and and all sorts of like you would never expect that and it's so refreshing to be like oh yeah like this guy gets it like i don't necessarily love the movies he's made or have been in but i like him more so as a personality and even the stuff that he's choosing like he's gonna be in season four of fargo right as the lead Mm -hmm. yeah and uh so it's a story by chris rock but it will be written by um, sorry, I have the guys here. Uh, Pete Goldfinger and Josh <laughs> Stolberg um, will write the So screenplay. a Bond villain is writing yeah. uh, um, this new Saw movie. Based on a story conceived by uh, Chris Rock. And it's going to be produced by um, Mark Berg and Oren Cools, who have produced all of the Saw movies. Um, and as well as uh, James Wan, Leigh Whannell, and Daniel Hefner. Um, so it's not going to be a reboot. It's going to be a spinoff sort of legacy sequel that builds off of the eight, nine, whatever, however, I am, eight movies. I have no um, interest in this, but I am very curious just to see what this is going to be. Yeah. Are we going to get Saw in space? Who knows? I doubt it. But um, what I like about it is like they weren't planning like after Jigsaw, which I think was going to be a one and done thing. And, yeah, by the um, Spirit Brothers. Yeah, and uh, mildly... Which you own on 4K. I just want to make do. that I do. I got it as a gift, yes, okay? from our friend Dave Voigt. Yeah, um, but I mean, I unabashedly do enjoy that franchise, even if maybe not its later chapters, but I, uh, I got They get more and more all. ridiculous, especially, spoiler alert, when Jigsaw is dead and is still commanding 
uh, or still playing the game from beyond the grave and having his disciples yeah. dish out torture. It's like, how many people did he have working for him? But what gives me hope for this is that it seems like Chris Rock is a huge fan of the first film, like I am, and went to Lionsgate and just no one asked him for this. He went there and goes, listen, I want to do this. I have this idea. And I'm sure they were like, holy fuck, Chris Rock wants to do a Saw movie with right. us. Okay, we'll do whatever you want. And like, so him conceiving a story and then working with the screenwriters on it is, um, uh, is fascinating. And um, it, it gives me faith that like, he must have an idea that he thinks is really interesting for Saw fans. If he is also a Saw fan um, or else he wouldn't have gone like, it just seems weird to me that he would be passionate about that enough to like actually want to participate and and. Make but maybe it he's work, looking but... at this as well from a business point of view because the Saw movies are made for next to nothing and they make a lot of money back. Even the ones that more recently didn't do as well as the first few, you know, again still cost a dollar to make especially because they all shoot here mostly in Toronto. And then, you know, like their returns are, it's the same thing with paranormal activity, which I hope we get a Terrence Malick directed right. paranormal activity. Guys, I have a pitch. No, it's gotta be a comedian. And I, we see this trend right now um, of comedians kind of trying. Wait, you're not, you're saying at, that Terrence Malick's not a comedian. Well, yeah, he does love Zoolander. So. <laughs> um, and some of his movies are comical, uh, probably not intentionally, but um what was I saying? So, oh yeah, comedians kind of making horror films, and I think comedy or bringing them back, like yeah. even Jordan Peele with both The Twilight Zone and Candyman, who he's producing a new version of that. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, and even just trying their hand at horror with Danny McBride uh, with the new Halloween, um, and now you're seeing Chris Rock do it, uh, have a hand in the in the Saw franchise, and I'm, I'm sure there's even more. That I'm, I'm blanking right. on right now, but I just find it interesting. I've always talked about this, and I know we sound repetitive, but like I do feel like comedy and horror are more similar than we like think that they are, and like setting up a punchline and setting up a scare, I think is is similar sometimes. And how or, dark they're or, willing to go to get to yeah. that punchline. But I mean, yeah, no, you're you're totally right. And and the person I always talk about, and especially when Get Out was being released, is William Peter Blatty. William Peter Blatty was a stand-up comedian comedy writer who wrote The Exorcist. Yeah, and, then, and so this isn't a new thing either, yeah. right? But, like, I just feel like they get it, right? The darkest and, minds are usually the most comedic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, and I think that you can understand what makes people laugh and what scares them, right? right. And, I, and that's what kind of gives me hope is that it seems like it's not just something where you're, like, all right, it's a cash grab or like these, like you said, these things are really cheap. So let's just fucking keep pumping them out until like, and, and again, I always loved the first Saw movie because I found the idea of creating this elaborate game, even though it was, it involved torture and murder and stuff like that. And, um, and again, another trend of movies that, you know, around that time were becoming big because you had Saw and Hostel doing the torture so well. porn yeah. movies. And I, I, my least favorite element of the Saw movies and why I, I like them less and less as they go on is the violence and the torture aspect. Like, I like the ideas of these people having to escape these escape rooms essentially like right um what's what escape room basically was yeah and then which i still need to watch but um i i like that idea and i love the idea of having these kind of ham-fisted twists but they still kind of always trying to out 
quote unquote smart you, even though they're not super smart. But like, I just like the idea of of this twisty kind of game and um, that plays into the serial killer kind of... And how ridiculous um, those flashbacks are when it recalls, like, what you missed the first time. Like, I remember with the first one, I was laughing my ass. Yeah, and I love that, though. But then that's part of it why I love it, right? Right. And you're like, ah, fuck, you you either got me or I saw it coming or, like, or it's just kind of silly because, like, it's... Yeah, they're overly written and to the point... And usually I hate this in movies where you, like, plant things and you bring them back up later in a cheesy way but like the first saw movie just I, I guess i was the right age and it just i think it worked for a lot of people which is why we got eight of them yeah and um that twist which i as much as it was stupid is just like it really got people to the point where you're like you motherfuckers you did get me and like it was surprising and and uh i think for a small horror movie from a couple of guys from australia like um, you can see everyone knows what Saw is, at least, like, even if you weren't a Well, they did friend. it twice. They did it with Saw, and then they did it with Insidious, where, yeah. you know, they, they, they're making horror movies that they loved growing up. And I'm not saying, like, just torture porn for Saw, but, like, the idea of the haunted house film and the idea of the crazy mass killer. And that's what they're playing into. And I, I that's the one thing I, I, I don't like the Saw movies. I... I love you for loving them, and and I I like that you do like these horror movies because I know you're not the biggest fan of horror. Yeah. At least you haven't seen a lot of stuff, and, and but you're willing to see it. Yeah, like 100%. some people just dismiss it completely. Um, but what I do appreciate about it is is the indie spirit, at least behind the original version and the original Insidious, because it came from two guys that loved the genre and respect the genre and wanted to make a movie that resembled the films that they loved growing up as kids, where as the series went on, I mean, it became more of a business uh, transaction than anything else. 100%. Like, I I think after that original trilogy... like you said, after Jigsaw dies, it's just like, why are we continuing to do this? <laughs> and how is Tobin Bell yeah. still in these movies? Yeah, like, they even brought him back for Jigsaw, and you're sitting there, and you're like, I hope they do some weird supernatural thing, but then... They have to. At like, some point, like, they will, if they decide to continue on after... Like, if this revives the series, even though this is a spinoff, but if this does say, like, okay, we're going to do, like, another just Saw movie next... They have to do either space or supernatural. <laughs> they cannot do it. I mean, even when they got to Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, they definitively said Jason is literally the Walking Dead. Yeah. So, um, I and I honestly thought they were gonna go there in Jigsaw, but they didn't. Um, and I again, I don't remember anything about Jigsaw really. Um, I just remember Tobin Bell. Yeah, exactly. Because he's just and, the raspy voice yeah. and just how ridiculous he is. Uh, but dude, I was obsessed with Saw. Like Saw and Lost. Um, Both again, have two things in common. Um, Michael Emerson. Yeah. And uh, yeah, shout out to Michael Emerson. I saw him in Central Park once. I Walking his dog. That. Yeah, I probably told that story before. Um, love Michael well, he was Emerson. On the, he, was, he was working actually for Jigsaw at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, love Michael Emerson. Um, but yeah, man, saw, I remember just reading, I wrote like, uh, when I was younger, it's probably so bad. I remember trying to write my own like saw fan fiction kind of like <laughs> script thing. Hey, it's um, gotta be better than 50 and, shades of gray and, uh, after. Yeah. And then I also like tried to like make my own, like to add, like I was writing this like fake saw script. Cause I was like, I have so many cool ideas for saw movies and twists and things like that when I was younger. Um, and I like remember trying to do like 
playing around with uh, microphones and voice manipulation on my computer to try and match the like the jigsaw voice. Would and you stuff like, like to play our yeah, game? Yeah, and I'm like sending it to people and stuff. But like you got that. the scream voice uh, instead. Yeah, I had one of the. I was obsessed with scream as a kid too. So as much as like, um, I was Ghostface for like. My sister was fucking terrified of Ghostface as a kid. Now, did you and, have um, the the plastic mask or the mask that had the blood and the both. plastic over I had it? I had both. So yeah. I liked the OG more than the blood face because like, I wanted the screen accurate costume, yeah. right? So I, I was Ghostface for a couple Halloweens in a row. And I would always use that costume to just scare the shit out of my sister. And, and your sister so. was actually more terrified because you were just dressed as Matthew Lillard and not oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Ghostface. She, she literally to like this day was... And Scream's not even a scary movie, but when you're a kid... Um, well, especially like if it's one it, of the first, because this is this it was is, one of the first slasher movies we probably yeah, saw, and this right? is also like a a, a self aware post slasher movie, also with Henry Winkler. Yeah, and I didn't even get most of the. Obviously, I didn't understand a lot of the references when I watched it in the mid '90s when I'm right. like a, a kid. Well, even um, Wes Craven's being self referential and referencing Freddy Krueger. Yeah, and which I just never got, and, and that's why I, I going back to watch the Scream movies as an adult. I've I, I love them even more, but. Um, I, as a kid, I was obsessed with Scream. So, like, as much as I wasn't a horror guy or a horror kid or or even when I was coming up and, and starting to fall in love with movies, but, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't like kind of cheap horror. Like, I just don't like, like, crummy horror for the sake of just trying to get a cheap scare in, right. I guess. So, um, or schlock. But, like, I remember Saw, even the Hostel movies... I really, I even enjoyed the first Hostel movie. I remember a lot of the stuff I would rent on VHS at, or DVD at my cottage. And, right. Uh, did you rent Cabin Fever at your cottage? I did. I did, man. I, because th- that was the time where, so I was always like an indoor kid and Same. like, um, I, 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 I would obviously go outside to play street hockey or hang out with my friends and things like that. But I, to me, I'd like get my fix of the sun. And then I was like, I'm good. I can go back inside and play video games or watch movies now. So when we would be at my cottage where there would be no internet or anything, and this is the beginning of the internet. And, uh, I would always bring my video game systems when I was a kid, I would bring them everywhere so I could hook up my N64 or my PlayStation or whatever. Um, but I would also go to the corner store at my cottage and rent movies all the time. So when I was first introduced to a lot of this stuff is cause I walked to the corner store at Sobble beach, Ontario. And, um, uh, I had such a nostalgic trip the other day where I went on Google maps and like did the street view and did like the whole, walk from the convenience store where I would get snacks and rent movies and stuff and like walked through on Google maps and go, I wonder if I remember how to like walk back to my cottage. Cause we don't have it anymore. It's someone else's. Um, and I knew the exact route and it was such like a weird nostalgia trip. Cause I remember watching the American pie movies for the first time at my cottage, um, saw and hostel, um, I remember what, or mostly hostel, I think for the first time at my cottage, cause everyone would go to the beach and I would stay <laughs> home and watch movies or play video games, Right, like, playing Pokemon snap for the first time. We were talking about Pokemon last week. That was, I, I made my dad drive me to Owen sound, which was the closest town to Sobble beach that would actually have a blockbuster or, um, things like that where I would rent like, cause like the local shop would have like, you know, the same kind of 
handful of movies that you would rent but right. like i'd make them go to blockbuster to rent a bunch of stuff for the week we or it's like there. if they, there was a movie theater there they would be playing like two movies on two screens that kind of look like shoeboxes. i would also make my parents drive me to owen sound because there was no theater in sobble beach and owen sound was like a 30 40 minute drive but yeah it was like they had a galaxy cinemas oh nice there. Because I, I, I have the exact same similar experience. In 2006, yeah. I have I, always been an indoor guy. My mom had known that. <laughs> but yet still, uh, she took me and my brothers uh, and my cousins uh, on a vacation to the Kawartha. Yeah. And Kawartha Lakes, we, yeah. Yeah, to Kawartha Lake. And we rented this this cottage and i love going to the cottage don't get me wrong i don't okay. <laughs> i'm just i'm just not i don't maybe now i would appreciate it a little more but i don't go outside and i was <laughs> i was afraid of everything a right. lot more as a kid like i was yeah. afraid of like i'd go outside i'd be bitten by a spider or a snake or right, something right so literally for these this week that we're down there i'm sitting in the like the family room the whole time yeah, that's even where I was sleeping because we, we some people had like we had fold out couches yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So and I'm watching sat because they had satellite TV. So I'm watching Canadian exploitation movies like Pin. Okay, uh, and and you know my brothers and cousins coming in to to watch movies, you know in the evening and yeah. be like. Oh man, we had a great time outside. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't care. And then like <laughs> the one day I go out is like I get my my mom to take us to go see uh, a movie at the local theater. And the only two films that they were playing were films I had actually already seen both already, which was Monster House and uh, one of the pirate movies. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up seeing Monster House again. And I just remember like this small shoebox theater. And it was around the time when both Miami Vice and Lady in the Water were about to come out. And I wanted to see if they had one of those yet. And I was so pissed off because I had to wait even longer to see them. Because you had to be at this cottage that wasn't yeah. showing anything. Yeah. yeah. And I was the same way too. Like I made my... Whenever movies were coming out that I really wanted to see, I would make my like I would make everyone go on like a road trip to Owen Sound for like the afternoon to go see. I remember seeing Austin Powers and Gold in <laughs> Goldmember, uh, and making everyone drive to Owen Sound to see that. And then I also loved um, shout out to the Sobble Beach slash Owen Sound Drive-In Theater. Um, many many of films I've seen at that drive-in theater. Um, uh, God, too many to count, and I would. It was one of the my favorite things going to the cottage was like we'd always go that one night or two nights in the two weeks that we were there to the drive-in and I I loved the drive-in even for someone who like loves projection and sound and stuff the drive-in's the worst possible thing you oh, can 100%. probably do but it's good to but, see movies that you don't really care about because or something you've already seen yeah because the experience is the fun itself right mm-hmm. like I haven't been to a drive-in since. I was a child, oh, which is when go, I man. saw so Titanic fun. and Deep, yeah, Deep Impact and Titanic as a double bill at, in Peterborough. Yeah, we should go this summer because it's like it's it's so fun. Like Nevis and I went and saw uh, what's the Rock movie? Uh, earthquake? No, what is there an earthquake? Rock San Andreas. Movie? Yes, San Andreas. We saw at the drive-in, which was awesome. And then she fell asleep during Mad Max, uh, which also and I. Or actually halfway through, I was like, let's just go. Because I'd already seen Mad Max. Right. Um, so that I think that was the, one of the last things. Were those even out at the same time? Am I getting that timeline right? No, I think you, yeah, yeah. I think you are. It was and 2014. Then, right? Yeah. And then, so we haven't been in a while, but I've been, I've been wanting to go 
I, I love the drive-in, man. It's just very nostalgic. And yeah, but yeah, I remember my formative years of watching movies. I remember my parents letting me again. You've always talked about going to the movies with your your grandmother and stuff and seeing stuff that you probably shouldn't have watched so young. Oh, Jane, and like, Silent Bob. Yeah, for me, American Pie. I'd always bring a friend to my cottage too, so because like you never want to like. I always hung out with my sister and my cousins who are both uh, girls at well uh, as well. So like um. They would always let me bring like one of my guy friends up to the cottage, and uh, I remember watching American Pie with my friend uh, Dan Witt, and uh, my parents already knowing, either knowing about it or they just like um, were listening and stuff like that. So you, they they always talked about like the tube sock masturbation thing, and this is the, my family's humor, where my mom like while we're listening because my cottage had no ceiling um well the cottage had a roof but the rooms didn't have ceilings so you could literally like throw things over or like you'd scare the shit out of people by like climbing up because there'd be these wooden beams and you could like look over into the like room beside you so we're watching american pie and i remember my mom throwing tube socks at us (laughs) over (laughs) over the the uh the roof of one of the bedrooms because they'd be just like hanging out as we're watching american pie in in the living room but um yeah i i i'm it, it was the cottage was fun. I like those rainy nights at the cottage too, where people just right hot, huddle around. And or you even when you hear like, like thunder. Crappy. I mean, yeah. it's more terrifying when you're out in kind of rural areas or out in kind of cottage country. But there's something almost peaceful about it in the way that like it can put you to sleep. But it's also like you're getting like a free show or something like that. Like the sound is amazing. Yeah, hundred um, percent. How did we it. get here? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, uh, saw right. Yeah, just saw. Yeah, then we spun into hostel, and then it made me nostalgic. I do remember days. though being very excited about Saw because I was thinking, oh, is this going to be like a new Seven? And then to me, when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's just ripping off Seven. It's budget Seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah and whatever. not that I have anything against budget movies because I watched a ton of budget movies. I just didn't think the movie was that good. But fair enough. Yeah, and that's totally okay. I remember uh, being very. Remember, excited. this is the, coming from the guy who just watched Street Trash. <laughs> yeah. So. I just remember Mike, our friend Mike Munson, who we've referenced a couple times in this episode. He was the one who was a big horror guy and a big movie guy, too, when, when we were younger. And um, he, I remember him talking about Saw playing. It played the same Midnight Madness as Hostel, I believe, yeah. right? Um, but they were released. Saw was released in 2004 uh, in October, like around Halloween. Like right after the festival. Yeah, yeah. and then Hostel was wasn't the released year, until, wasn't yeah, it? it was January yeah. of 20, uh, 2005. Yeah. Um. All right, let's uh, kind of go through the rest of this news. Nah, the other stuff's not too, too exciting. Um, Will any of these spark some nostalgia? Uh, I don't know. Does James Gray um, no. spark any nostalgia for you? For me, it was the New York Film Festival when I went, which wasn't that long ago. Right. Uh, what the hell? His, he's got his next movie lined up, which is um, he's doing a, uh, a drama called Armageddon Time. And it's a 1987 period piece right and i've heard that fred trump is going to be a character or mentioned oh really yeah yeah i'm not sure so yeah uh gray's going to direct from his own uh, this is from collider our buddy jeff snyder Uh, not related to (laughs) Zack snyder or scott Scott snyder Snyder, yeah it's different spelling um although scott snyder's name is spelt the same way as Zack snyder but they're not related uh, anyways, his own screenplay, which is set in Gray's hometown of Queens, New York, in the mid 1980s. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. 
Cool. I don't know much else about it, but um, I'm I'm hit or miss with him as same. A I think we've talked about this before. Like again, another yeah. guy. We were talking about like how we have a lot of before the podcast how we have a lot of respect for Terrence Malick um, as a filmmaker and what he's doing, but we're not the biggest fans of his work per se. And I feel very similar with James Gray, where like I appreciate what he's doing as an artist and he seems like an interesting guy and like i don't know if anybody read there was i can't remember where the article was from but it was during his rounds for the last the lost city of zed and he was talking about like how hard it is as a filmmaker to sustain an income and like even though he's working with you know name actors doesn't necessarily mean that he's making you know the money that they are or the money to you know continually go off and 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 make these movies and then take a break so i found that really you know like he seemed like a really down-to-earth kind of guy mm-hmm. um and i am very curious about ad astra as well to see this you know sprawling sci-fi epic that's a combination of apocalypse now in 2001 um but yeah i feel like his his ideas are more interesting than his execution I would agree with that. And I, I remember seeing him speak at the New York Film Festival. And this was for The Immigrant, right? For The Immigrant, which I did not like. And then, um, but I, I did, I do agree with you there where I actually thought he was an interesting guy. And I didn't mind hearing the Because at the New York Film Festival does an interesting thing with their press screenings where they do like a in conversation with the filmmakers and actors for the press. After It's almost like the press conference is right after the movie. Right. Um, and when I went there, I stayed for a lot of that because it was more um, – it wasn't just the public, right? So you weren't just getting, like, kind of random crappy questions or anything. Uh, all right, next piece of news. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez has uh, signed on to return to Fast and Furious in the ninth installment, but uh, with an asterisk there. She uh, – Basically said, I will not come back unless you add a female screenwriter to the to the writer's room of the movie, essentially. Uh, so fair. they did that, which I think is a good move. So yeah. I'm trying. So to I look. hope to see scantily clad men in short shorts. I hope so. Uh, during uh, one uh, of the racing illegal scenes? street racing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get the I don't know if they've if announced they, the name, the name of the woman who they're bringing on. I'm trying to find it here. Sorry. I don't see it. So, but um, John Cena in short shorts. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the other rumor that we talked about, right? So, um, glad that Letty will be back. Um, again, it is. I think that they've done the female characters a little dirty in this franchise. Like they haven't given them all that much to do. Um, so, right. It's very um, much the male gaze of you know, hyper stylized filmmaking and the constant thing throughout this entire series, even though it's, it is a diverse cast and it is, you know, um, there is a balance of, of gender roles, but the roles written for the women in these movies are paper thin. They're usually a spouse or a damsel in distress, or they become that. And then on top of that, it's like the most interesting thing we'll do with them is that we'll make them the villain for five seconds because they have amnesia. Right. And then, like, yeah, going back to even... But it is also the Fast and Furious franchise, which I'm not surprised that it's doing that. Like, I'm... I... Seeing where it started and Yeah, like that, yeah. Right? Like, I would be... I'd be more shocked if, like, you know, a superhero film now was kind of being less than considerable when it comes to equality and, and, mm-hmm. and womanizing and, and, and misogynistic. But with the Fast movies, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, like... 
we've seen this done in all of these movies. It's not surprising. I'm actually more surprised it's taken this long for them to kind of like finally bring in somebody that is not a white male uh, yeah. to the writer's room. Yeah. So uh, I'll be interested to see how it, if it changes. The if movie it has any way. effect on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like I hope it does and I hope she gets a, a little bit of a meteor role maybe. Or, right. Because, like, you, like, you hope that it won't become again, like, you know, with the Barry joke where, you know, uh, payback uh, oh, women, God, right? Oh, God, yeah. No, I know. Which is, I guess, probably what worried her as well. Right. right. And she's always been very open about how her character has been portrayed in the in those films yeah, and how it, women are portrayed in general, right? Well, even Steve McQueen was talking, like, somebody asked him, like, was Michelle Rodriguez hard to work with because she has this reputation? And, and Steve McQueen was, like... No, like she, she, she knew what she willed, wanted. Right? Yeah. She knew what she wanted. She asked questions, but those are things that uh, any good filmmaker should want of a cast. Yeah, you member. want people to challenge you and make yeah. sure you're getting the best performance or putting out the best version of your film. Like, yeah, but because she is a Latinx woman, it's <laughs> like. You know, she's difficult to work because she's asking questions about her character and why they're doing a certain thing or she doesn't agree with she might read a script and sign on and then go, you know what? I don't agree that she would do this this way. Right. And people take that of like, how dare you change my vision of what this movie is? Yeah. um, You're just lucky to be here. Oh, God. All right. Next story. Um, Kevin Feige says the Mandarin and the Ten Rings will return to the MCU. So I guess he did an AMA on... um, Sorry, he did a AMAA, which is an Ask Me Almost Anything on Reddit, because <laughs> uh, he's Kevin Feige. Um, so basically, it, he gave a one-word answer to a question that someone asked him on Reddit about uh, being like, it, I know you can't go into details, but do you have any plans for the quote-unquote real Mandarin and the Ten Rings who we saw in the first Iron Man film um, in the MCU? And his answer was just straight up, Yes. Um, so does that mean for the films or does that mean for the Disney plus side of things? Yeah. I mean, my, I mean, the obvious thing here would be maybe it's involved in Shang-Chi. Um, uh, but hopefully you, you portray this in a respectful manner because I really appreciated what Shane Black did with that character in Iron Man three, because that character came at a time where, you know, racism towards Asian culture and society was very acceptable and just yeah fine. And so, like, turning that on its head and saying, like, no, this is, you know, created by, you know, white people to create fear-mongering was perfect. And, you know, casting Ben Kingsley as well, who in a lot of his career has been played as the ethnic actor, uh, quote-unquote, um, was, was genius. So it really sort of stuck... Uh, or pointed back at Marvel and said, like, hey, like, you know, like, we're calling you out for this. And then, yeah, I know they kind of retconned it with the... Oh, Hail the, the King. Yeah, the 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 short. Um, but you can still take Iron Man 3 and look at it as its own thing. But, yeah, I was... I, the question I was going to ask, where do you put him? But Shang-Chi, I guess, would be the most logical or rational idea. Um, and it, it makes you easily tie it back into the MCU and, and right. have Shang-Chi involved in with the Avengers. And it still lets Tony's legacy kind of protrude into the other films and things like that. Like I think, so, I mean the 10 rings go all the way back to the very first MCU movie, right? With right. Iron Man. And, and then, it can't just be Iron Man dealing with, 
this yeah. international group, right? Exactly. So, and we haven't really seen them. They were they're a giant threat in the Marvel universe, right? We're are supposed to be, and and we haven't really seen much of them since that. Well, I guess the third Iron Man, um, but uh, it's but it, then it's how it was sort of exposed for being a yeah. fake, right? I mean, the Ten Rings and and were yeah, they just the way that the Guy Pierce's character manipulates everything right. to make people think, like and you mentioned, that was partly probably because at that time they were like, well, this is the third Iron Man movie. This is where we're wrapping up these storylines and maybe they weren't thinking they, I mean, obviously Marvel is Marvel studios is known for thinking ahead, but maybe at that point they were like, okay, well maybe for Iron Man story as, as a single film or his trilogy, we have to wrap his 10 ring storyline up. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm can't wait to see when we'll, I know we talk about this every week, but It'll come soon. When the like, phase four announcement, the, uh, the summer probably, be, right? Yeah, I would think maybe you do it at Disney, even uh, after Spider-Man: uh, Far yeah. From Home, because look how quick they were to launch that spoiler trailer for uh, Far From Home. Two weeks they gave yeah. people, yeah. So, so I have a feeling it'll be similar. Two weeks where it'll after, be like two weeks yeah. after, we'll which lines up four. with D twenty three, I think. Yeah, like I'm gonna look at that date. Uh, and then, I mean, I guess that's a good segue of, like, our last news story is that Emma Thompson looks like she will be joining Emma Stone in uh, Disney's Cruella, which is going to be released next year, directed by Craig Gillespie, uh, who you guys most Lars recently... And, Lars and the Real Girl and, and I, Tanya. Yes. Uh, so I, she'll probably play, like, this is a younger Cruella who hasn't become Cruella DeVille yet, so I'm assuming she'll play the Cruella role of this movie right. not cruella because that's emma stone but you know that the other the original yeah. yes cruella, like who the, she the, almost the prototype yes of, her uh yeah well yeah. you know what they're gonna do with this they're gonna probably go in the same direction that they did with maleficent where maybe this cruella played by emma stone will be kind of an anti-hero yeah Right. I love 101 Dalmatians, the cartoon. And I, got, I like Cruella de Vil as a villain. I, I haven't I, rewatched it in a very long time. I haven't time. either, but as a kid, I remember having fond memories of it. And I think Cruella de Vil as a villain in the original animated version, not the Glenn Close movie. One of the first live action remakes. Right, right. Um, which is weird because you'd think maybe they would cast Glenn Close. Yeah. You know, and, and But then, then you're getting into that sequel territory, right? Of like, does this take place in the same universe or you could just ignore thing. it like you know bond right. does with yes with judy yeah. dench or pat hingle and michael goth and uh the tim burton bat uh, joel schumacher batman movies right um yeah i don't know i mean i to be honest no real interest i like both emmas but uh, this is again you know we're cycling through the animated films that haven't been done by disney yet and they're maybe going to try to take a different angle with the being a prequel, but do we want to spend so much time with a character that becomes obsessed with skinning dogs, Dalmatians alive, you know, 101 puppies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, again, this seems like more of a Disney plus one, but I think you have too much star power, uh, star power. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that, I mean, Craig Gillespie coming off. I, Tanya, I, I, I mean, we've seen, uh, isn't Tom McCarthy doing a Disney plus 
movie for them. I think so. Um, I mean, he's written stuff before. Like he he yeah. did a um a rewrite of Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm, and then Craig Gillespie's also done work for Disney with uh, the unmemorable Sinking Ship movie, Finest Hour. Right. Fair enough. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have a huge interest in Cruella. I mean, I like Emma Stone enough, and I like Emma Thompson enough, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm with you when you go, you make the point of being like, at least they're trying to do something a little bit differently than just remaking the, the same movie. Right. Uh, because but, they kind of already did with the Glenn Close film, yeah. but then they had a sequel to that. Yeah. 102 Dalmatians. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, cause the original one did so well and it's weird because both those also had Jeff Daniels and then Jeff Daniels did uh, my favorite Martian as well which was another Disney remake of a TV series. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just, I wonder like if this is successful, are we going to be in the same kind of franchise category as Maleficent is where, you know, we're getting a sequel to that, that I don't think really anybody, even people that liked the first film or went to see it, were really asking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? But December of next year. So we'll see. All right, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Um, as always, uh, this you can get this show each and every week, usually on Mondays now. Um, at Depending if it's times. a holiday or yeah, if we're busy. And when we can record. Um, but if you guys like this show, we do another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews, which you guys should 100% check out. Uh, it's a separate channel, so please go subscribe and, and rate that podcast. That would be wonderful. We appreciate that. Uh, we do kind of little mini episodes between 25 and 35 minutes. They seem like they're getting longer and longer because Eric and I don't know how to stop talking. Right. Um, but uh, little mini episodes where we review new released films. So uh, we have new reviews up for Detective Pikachu, uh, Rocket Man, Booksmart, John Wick Chapter 3, hyphen Parabellum. Uh, and Aladdin coming and soon Aladdin when the embargo has thing. broken. Yes. So lots and lots of content over there for you guys to go listen to. So please go check that out. Um, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work at UntitledMoviePodcast.com as well as around the social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my work at uh, RogerCV.com slash CinemaScene and on the social medias at EM6211. And until next time, goodbye, baddie. <laughs> <laughs>